Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. Good evening and welcome into Extra Time here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock this evening. Coming up on the show, we're going to be talking a lot of rugby this hour. Kevin here is going to join us. Uh, we are going to talk the Heartland Championship. We'll get his thoughts on a few other bits and pieces as well. We'll keep you up to date. Uh, with the game tonight that kicks off in about five minutes' time between uh, the Cantabs and North Harbour in the uh, Buddings NPC. That'll be uh, one to watch for sure, so uh, keep an ear out for that because I think uh, that is going to be quite the clash. Of course, Harbour and Canterbury backing up from big games on the weekend. Harbour couldn't quite get it done in the Shield Challenge, uh, which was a pity for them because uh, they, they ran Hawks Bay uh, pretty close, but it wasn't to be. Um, now, in terms of how uh, things are looking for the uh, the lineups. There's been a few changes uh, to the lineups. Uh, I'm just looking here. You got uh, Leonard Brown, Bell, and Franks as the front row for Canterbury. Romano and Gardner are the locks. Uh, of course, uh, Christie is playing seven. You got Callo at six, and Allen uh, packing down at uh, number eight with Cullen Grace sidelined with that uh, cheekbone fracture. Willie Hines, El uh, Harford. Uh, other halves. Then you've got Punavai and McLeod as the centres. Uh, Gautier and uh, Punavai are your wings, and George Bridge is playing fullback. Uh, so that's how the Cantabs are lining up. And then uh, for the for Harbour, uh, they've got Lungi, uh, Nuia, and Tuiloma as their front row. And they've got Nasali Sala and Kalapu is their locks. They've got Magan, uh, Satiti and Rizic uh, are their Lucys. They, uh, in terms of uh, their back, their back line, there's been quite a few changes here. Of course, uh, no Bryn Gatlin for this one. So 
Ninengi and Height make up the halves. You've got Barham and Solomona in the midfield. Banks and Leilanga on the wings and Sean Stevenson at fullback. That's how things are looking tonight. We'll get uh, that game uh, updates for you as well when it kicks off in around two minutes' time. Uh, we've also uh, had a, a, an all-black free day today. They've done no media. It's been a day off, but they did speak yesterday, and Sam Kane in particular was grilled by the media on that Auckland performance, uh, sorry, that Auckland performance, that Christchurch performance, and how they may back it up in Hamilton this weekend. Saturday post-game, a lot, a lot of boys hurting. Um, yeah, feeling like we, we let an opportunity slip, um, and then and then Sunday, yeah, yeah, travel travel day was a bit gloomy, but um, we picked ourselves up. The sun came back up, and then um, and Monday morning, you know, we got back into our work and had a good review. And a review always helps to sort of move forward because it, you identify the things you did well, and, and where you can make some shifts. A few boys put their hands up and I guess be honest about the performances and, and, and how they felt they they played. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and when we re- reflect on the game, you know, there was actually lots of good stuff. We were probably, um, we we felt we had almost, we were more dominant in the first half than the scoreboard showed, but it was our lack of discipline um, which allowed them to, to stay in the game. And then um, in the second half, we probably overplayed our hand a little bit and that, that played into, into their strength, which was their defence. Um, so, look, we fo- focused on the, the things that we did did well, um, but also, like I said, the areas we can improve. And, and yeah, of course, there's um, always individuals within that. And, and just for yourself, being pulled, I guess, 15 minutes before full time, were you ready to come off? Was that a decision made before the game? Was that what going to happen? I mean, how, how did you see that? No, I don't, oh, that wasn't um, like pre-talked about or predetermined um, or anything to do with me, I think. But but I back the coaches when they make a decision to sub one someone whether that's me or, or anyone else they're, they're doing it with the um, best interests of the team at heart and that's that's how decisions are made in this team so um, yeah I don't take it personally by any means. In terms of fixing the, the discipline as, you, as you've talked about, what is the, the key to that? Is that an individual mindset thing? Is it a, a, a leadership thing? Could you talk about the areas of improvement around that that discipline? Well, I think that when you look at penalties, you look at the ones that you can control and, and, and a lot of them you can but particularly ones like offside and I think we had four offsides early in the, in the first half and that's um, it's a little bit reacting to um, you know their, their clean outs and, and extending the, the length of the ruck which changes the offside line um, but then also you know pretty eager to, to get off the line um, which you know is a we've, we've got to have the the mental patience, I suppose, or, or discipline to still be able to eager to get off the line, but have a, a clear line of discipline. So um, it starts from the with one or two guys around the edge of the ruck, and, and it works its way out. So it's been a, a, a clear focus from yesterday and today. How hard do you come down? How hard do you come down on the on the players on the field when you're having those conversations with the ref? And clearly, it's the same things that are, are creeping back in. Do, do you, as captain, have to have a few choice words with players to? to try and reinforce that message? Does there need to be a greater accountability, do you think, uh, going forward? Uh, look, I think, uh, you know, we have more of a rev up when, when our attitudes, if, if it, our attitude wasn't right, but um, like I said, like the eagerness and the intent was, was right there, it was almost a, l- a little bit too much, so like, trying to um, you know, remind each other, help each other out, particularly with those offside lines. Um, some of the breakdown stuff was... was um, Real 50-50, um, but we've got to 
be smarter so that the ref doesn't come into, into play there in, in those tough ones. So, yep, um, we talk about it for sure, um, but it's making sure we can execute it. Is it beginning to feel a bit like Groundhog Day, having to lose and review every week and, and talk about losses and, and try and get back up you know, week to week? I think the the frustrating part is like just the inconsistency. Like we're, we're not by any means happy with having a good performance and then and then a not a good one. We don't want to get into that cycle. Um, we want to to lose to learn. Uh, so yeah, look, we're we're not happy with that by any means. Um, but all all we can do is make sure we're working hard and, and um, chipping away at our training, and hopefully we can get some of that consistency we're after. Sam, can you give us an insight into what it's like riding the, I guess, the, the emotional roller coaster we saw after Alice Park? You know, a pretty torrid time. You were a bit emotional sideline. It's a tough time for the team, and then you, you have a high point and a low point, and you've got to get back up again. What, what, what's that like? Yeah, the highs and lows of professional sport. Um, yeah, it's real. The um, yeah, the the highs of something like that, and then the, the low of last week. Um, I think it just tests your resilience and your character really and you've um, got to pick yourself back up and just focus on what's important and uh, and go again and there's no point sulking or, or dwelling on things but um, when you put all your energy into things you can control um, that helps um, you just got to front up and own it. Is it hard to do at times? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How frustrating is it that the ill-discipline sort of seems to be a continuous issue when you do lose? It is sort of brought up all the time, isn't it? And you know, how do you actually go about fixing that? Yeah, for sure, it's definitely um, a statistic we've highlighted that when we when we do lose, the opposition kick um, a lot of penalties, and that's obviously um, from our ill-discipline. The things I said earlier, we've got to be able to help each other out. What the Offsides are inexcusable, and then there's always going to be calls within a game of rugby, but we've just got to um, do our best to control them um, and, and make them a real clear focus. I think when you, you can become frustrated on the field for for whatever reason, um, and pressure uh, can can force sometimes individuals to to do things they don't want to do because they're trying to make a play because they care and they, they want a good result. Um, and sometimes that's like that, that overplaying thing which can have a detrimental effect to what you're actually trying to achieve. So how do you get the balance? Yeah. How, do you, how do you get that balance? No, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think when, when, you've, when you've got it, it just hums, it just, it just happens. Um, it, it goes well, um, things are, are going well and you're on top. It's, the, it's when it's not and it's the, the momentum swings, it's not having back-to-back moments. Because um, when you can have back-to-back good moments and you do start building momentum and, and things... So you start compiling pressure on the opposition. It's sort of test rugby is just a, a big pressure cauldron, and it's, um, and penalties are, are what release pressure. So I don't even know if that's answered your question, to be honest. But um, yeah. when, you, when you're going through these, does it make it harder to recognise those good things when the team is doing this stuff for you to turn around and go, lads, this is what we want. This is what we've been training. Let's keep going. This is this is it. No, I think we're pretty pretty good at. Um, at realising what we are doing well um, and it's the oh, I've said a few times before like identifying the issue is, is often one thing and, and being able to get a shift that's the that's the real skill um, so yeah we're you know at half time we wanted to keep playing to our strengths our, our maul was going well our, our scrum was going well um, and we are putting them under pressure defensively we just wanted to eliminate um, the, the penalties so we'd identified what was going well um, 
and we, we wanted to go out there and continue to do that, but um, it didn't quite eventuate. Just on a personal level this week, um, are you able to spend a bit of time at home, get away at all from a little bit of footy, just something different? Same with Ian as well, hometown? Yeah, I'm not sure that um, the coaches do a heck of a lot of work in the evenings. Um, I mean, the players don't switch off. We don't switch off once um, we walk off the training park either, but I managed to get home from about six till nine last night and then came back to the hotel because um, I get a better night's sleep without uh, having a four-month hold in the bedroom, so, yeah. So many injury concerns that have appeared between the weekend and now? No, not that I know of. I think we've been, been pretty lucky with injuries so far, touch wood. What can you say about the Argentinian performance? Um, look, it was a, a very simple. It reminded me a lot of the um, Test match in 2020. Uh, they obviously made a lot of tackles, defended really well, scored a good opportunity to try and, and um, took the points from the offer. Outstanding. Um, Profelli's got an outstanding boot. Um, and he sort of felt in the last 20, um, you know, they were going to defend for their life. Um, so. Look, that, it's the sort of performance we expected, to be honest, having um, reviewed closely the, their last two matches, particularly the, the last one against Aussie. Um, and, and, yeah, they're just a, a very good, well-rounded side. Sam, just in terms of the breakdown, is it, is it an easy fix? Because it, it does seem when you get that, that part right, you know, the rest of the game flows. Yeah, fair. That's often the case. Um, yeah, Montoya um, managed to pinch a couple of, of kicks. Um, so we just got to be quicker to um, get on our isolated catcher, um, and then and then a cup we had a couple where um, like a, a couple of side entries and, and things like that. So um, a lot of the intent and stuff at the breakdown was, was pretty sharp, but it's another clear focus this week for sure. And, and Joe Smith's driving that pretty hard. Will Richie goal kick this week again, or is Jordy will he take the team? Oh, it's up to them. Do you feel the pressure coming into this game just after? The- we're talking about the roller coaster of, of results. Do you feel like yet yeah, you're under pressure this game to keep your championship hopes in the balance? Yeah, I think all four teams that are, are playing in terms of the, like the rugby championship balance has never. I don't know if it's ever been even as it has ever been two-two for everyone. So um, there's that pressure. There's the ex, um, external pressure, and there's the internal pressure that we put on our sides that we're not happy um, with how we fronted up last week. So um, yeah, heaps of pressure. Heaps of pressure indeed. Heaps of pressure on the All Blacks, and uh, they know it. Individual players, the team, the coaching staff, the the NZR board. Really, uh, it is interesting though, as Sam Kane did say there. Um, everything's pretty even in terms of the rugby championship title. Everybody's played uh, what three and one two and uh, sorry, you know, lost a couple, won a couple. So. Um, yeah, it's all pretty even. It's all pretty even. I don't think, as he said, it's been that even for a while. I mean, if the box and the All Blacks get up this weekend, it'll be dead even, won't it? Two wins and two losses each for all four teams uh, with two matches or two rounds left to play. So it'll yeah, be interesting to see when that team comes out, what it looks like and how many changes there are. Will Foster make changes? He's in the past been very reluctant to do that, to make any changes. When we come back, we'll hear from Alan Quinlan, the Irish lock, and get his take from an Irish point of view, having uh, been that he was here for that tour on that All Blacks loss to the Pumas. It is 19 past seven here on SENZ. Uh, just updating you with the score from the Bunnings NPC North Harbour uh, playing the Cantabs in Christchurch at Orange Theory Stadium. 6 uh, 0 currently, Canterbury lead. 
uh, in this one. Uh, Harbour have been on attack and they are in the Canterbury 22, but uh, they've just lost the ball and the Cantabs have the put into the scrum. That is about 12 minutes gone in that one. We were talking All Blacks, of course, uh, that historic loss to Argentina on the weekend, our first time uh, losing to them on our soil. And that fired up Alan Quinlan, former Irish lock, who was here as part, uh, or Lucy, sorry, Lucy, wasn't he? He was more a six. Uh, but he was here as part of the uh, Irish team that were covering the Irish series. And uh, he has had this to say, reflecting on the loss to Argentina and how that puts into perspective Ireland's performances. A little bit surprising for everybody, but I think uh, given what Argentina did the last time out at, um, at home to Australia, you know, beating them 48-17, I think that was probably would have raised a few um, a few eyebrows that performance as well um you know Scotland probably they won one test in Argentina probably should have won the last test I know they lost the series so you're kind of trying to figure out over the summer where where were Argentina um you know under Michael Cheka Contepomi's back in there um you know does this does it kind of dilute Ireland's performances um a little bit uh, over the summer. I, I'm not sure, um, but certainly there's issues with New Zealand rugby and that team. And um, it was it was a it was a great match. It was a great bite, great intensity. It. And they struggled big time, New Zealand, um, with the, with the breakdown and, and their discipline. Again, they seemed to skip away a lot of penalties. So uh, no love lost afterwards either. Michael Checker was asked about. You know, Ian Foster was talking about the referee and uh, he kind of fired back at Ian Foster and, um, you know, particularly talking about the breakdown, Foster said that, you know, he was disappointed with Argentinian players not rolling away, slowing the ball down and check it in as well. He'd know all about it because they're experts at that. So um, it was interesting looking at, you know, to see Joe Schmidt in the coaching box uh, for the first time as well, uh, fully involved. Um, but Argentina certainly kind of, uh, you know, that's the first time in their history that they won in New Zealand, um, like Ireland in June, in July. So, um, yeah, it was a fantastic win for them, but lots of issues and problems kind of arose again for New Zealand. What does it say about our wins there? Does it say that maybe we should, like, rein ourselves in here? There's a very, very even... Uh, rugby world at the moment more even than it seems like it's ever been um, and so uh, whoever is in form next year in September, October is going to be the ones who win the World Cup as opposed to I'll oh, be the best team in the world yeah. now for the next year and a half it kind of is irrelevant who's the best now? Yeah it is and I would like 2018 I think um, regarding reeling ourselves in I think we've learned from that probably a few years ago when you know, not publicly, everyone wasn't jumping and, and certainly the team themselves weren't saying we're going to go and win a World Cup in 2019. But, you know, the hype and the excitement is there and um, it was a brilliant year for Ireland. Uh, we've gone over that so many times, you know, winning in in Australia, beating New Zealand in, in Dublin, England for a Grand Slam in Twickenham. You know, you have to celebrate that. <clears throat> um, 19 then started with that loss to England in Dublin and... Uh, they kind of bruised and battered Ireland and, um, you know, it, it, it ended up being a very, very disappointing year. Um, lots of uh, kind of negativity around the team after that. And, um, you know, I think you talk about the international teams kind of evening themselves out and, and uh, they've been really competitive. 
it's crazy when you look at Australia, you know, they were hammered in Argentina and they were woeful. And you look at them at the weekend beating South Africa. They were 25-3 up with six minutes to go against the Springboks and uh, looked brilliant. Their attack was superb. Um, so there's no consistency there at the moment from any teams. Um, New Zealand in South Africa, that game in Nelspruit, they were hammered the week after in jo- Johannesburg. Um, they beat South Africa. So um, a lot of kind of unpredictable results at the moment. But there's one thing you'll always get against Argentina is competitiveness, desire, passion. They're going to be in your face all day. And, and that's just the nature of, of of the character, the type of players. I think obviously they're they're very well coached as well. Um, Buffelli kicked kicked all his penalties and con- and the conversion as well, and punished New Zealand for their you know lack of discipline and uh, probably frustration. So New Zealand are in a place that, particularly with Ireland um, at home, and this loss at home that you know that aura that we speak about is is. Um, it's been chiselled away a little bit, and you know they're usually the dominant side who are kind of playing with pace, tempo, bullying the opposition, being really physical. And we've always kind of, if you're a rugby fan, you've all you, you'd have to admire what you know the All Blacks, the standard they've just set in their history and the dominance they've always had and the way they've played. But it's probably good for the game, but it's certainly not good if you're a New Zealand rugby fan at the moment because you know. Another loss at home like this. It's uh, three consecutive losses for the first time in their history. So they're kind of breaking all kinds of records. Um, they've lost six of their last eight test matches, which is, again, you have to kind of check yourself. And I had to go back and look at these results. There was, you know, France, Ireland in November, two against Ireland um, in, in, in July the loss in uh, South Africa and now the loss to Argentina. So six losses in Argentina in eight tests is something you don't kind of associate with them. I still think they have a lot of good players and I think still think they'll probably turn this around with better coaching and the changes that they've made. Um, but they're not as formidable as, as we've seen New Zealand teams in previous years. So there you go. That is Helen Quinlan uh, re, you know, reacting to that. Uh, defeat on the weekend uh, to the Pumas from the All Blacks. Uh, looking forward to seeing what lineup we see from the All Blacks for the second test against the Pumas in Hamilton this weekend. Double eight, double three is the text machine. Temper bed post text machine. Get your text through to us. Let us know who you think will be in the team. How do you think it might change, and what are you expecting? Double eight, double three is the Temper bed post text machine. When we come back, we're going to talk Heartland Championship with Kevin here. You're on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock tonight. We are talking rugby at the moment as well. Get your texts through, double eight, double three. What do you think the all-black lineup will look like this weekend against the Pumas? Uh, Kevin here might give us his thoughts on that a little bit later on, but uh, we've got far more important things to talk about off the bat, don't we, Kevin, in terms of the Heartland Championship? G'day, how are you? Good, good, yeah. Um, it's going great, isn't it? Some great games. We've had all the big guns fight each other now. It's going to be um, a case of lambs to the slaughter. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a, that, that is a, a fair fair way of putting it, mate. I mean, there was there were a couple of slaughters on the weekend, and uh, possibly the most um, surprising, I suppose you would say, of all of them was North Otago seventy one, Buller ten. Mm. I mean, we thought a North Otago would probably win that, but I don't think we thought there'd be sixty one points in it. 
Nor did I. Um, uh, talking to the guys on the way to Omaru, they were confident. Everything was going great. Everyone, the, the team was buoyed from the win against Mid Canterbury in round one. And the wheels just fell off. Um, I'm expecting them to bounce back big time on the tally on Saturday. Yeah, well, I mean, that game on Saturday uh, has a lot riding on it now for them. I mean, they, they they had an upset win first game, and then they get slaughtered in the second game. How uh, mm-hmm. do you think they're going to go against a Poverty Bay team who uh, will probably, I mean, they'll, they'll take the win and move on after beating the Bush. Uh, they lost their first game as well, but uh, it was a bit scratchy, wasn't it, the win over the Bush? It was, and I mean... <laughs> Uh, 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 definitely was. Um, Wairapa Bush were unlucky not to, to get away with that. And, um, you know, they at least walked away with two points. But um, you've also got to remember that the, the team Bullet beat the week before mid-Canterbury. Well, they went down to a team wearing blue mm. uh, for the first time in 10 years by a, only a short margin as well. So um, we've got the unusual uh, performance with uh, mid-Canterbury currently sitting in ninth place with no wins and four points, and all from bonuses. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, East Coast Nardi Perot with that win, big win for them over uh, mid-Canterbury. I did, you know, like you said, uh, you know, when we talked last week, certainly didn't see that one coming, uh, particularly after they you know, sort of uh, narrowly uh, missed out on beating Horofinua Kapiti at home the week before. It does mean that East Coast currently mm-hmm. sit in sixth place, though, which uh, is good for them, five points already this season. Uh, what do you think um, has changed at uh, Nati East Coast? I mean, we saw the start of this last season, didn't we? We certainly did, and, you know, we, and we saw that awesome documentary on TV, but one thing that they didn't show on that documentary was after the win against Poverty Bay, they went on and went down to Marston and beat um, Wairarapa Bush at, in Marston in that final game of the season. So, you know, um, they're just building on what they've, um, what Jose and the team have done over the last two years. It started coming to fruition um, last year, and they're just carrying on building it up. And they've got a good core group of guys. And, of course, as I said, I can't remember if I said it last week, but I did say keep an eye out for Shaden Stevens. Unfortunately, he's out for the year because he broke his leg in the preseason. So, um, yeah, and uh, against poverty, uh, plenty of development. So, yeah, so, but, um, you know, they're going great. Um, They've got a big game this weekend um, (laughs) against the Butcher Boys from Wanganui. And, uh, but... I've got plenty to play for there as well. It's going to be Per Emanuel's 50th match. Um, haven't seen a team yet, but I'm assuming he will uh, get the call up to play that game. And he's been a, you know, a stalwart of uh, Nardi Pro since 2013. So, um, yeah, so they've got a lot to play for, but it's going to be hard against the Butcher Boys. Well, I mean, they uh, kept, I mean, King Country, who had had that first up win. Uh, who, who did they beat in the first round? Was that Poverty Bay they beat in the first round? I'm trying to remember. Yes, they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. so King and Country course, had that win, and then and then lose to forty-one-three to Fine who really brought it at home at the Cooks Gardens. They certainly did, and at one point with only thirteen players. Um, I'm still waiting to hear the the uh, result of the judiciary there, but the uh, chap that got red carded, uh, he might get off that because uh, he took a swing at the guy and he completely missed, but everyone from the different angle thought he connected. So he got he got a straight red card, the poor bugger. And um, so, yeah, so um, King Country just couldn't even get over top of them. Um, it was a mud bath at Cook's Garden, but 
Um, yeah, Wanganui, uh, oh, they're looking good. They're looking very good, mate. Looking very good indeed, Wanganui. Um, after a couple of, probably I'd say by their, by their standards, lean years? They have. I mean, um, they were very disappointed not to have the semi-final format last year in the Meads Cup. Um, they definitely would have been in the Meads Cup final, so they went you know, second best and took out the Lahore. But uh, they'll definitely iron up that uh, the, the main trophy this year, and uh, I'm still sticking to my guns, believe it or not, Wanganui West Coast final. Well, West Coast have got a hell of a lot of work to do, mate, because they've dropped their opening two games, uh, including the one away at Thames Valley for the centenary, 36-26. Yeah, and, um, well, yes. Um, again, they gave away a 19-point lead to Thames Valley. They gave away a 24-point lead to Wanganui to go down by 24. So, you know, and, and then to go down by 10 after giving away a 19-point lead. So at least they're bringing it back and they're getting closer. So um, that's the way I look at it. But, you know, their next matches, um, they've got a good run um, now, you know, that you could argue the fact they've played against North Otago and Wanganui, one and two. Um, so now they've got, um, who have they got coming up again? Uh, they're up against Mid-Canterbury this week. And then uh, following that, they've got um, the Rundle Cup um, hosting Buller. And then, you know, so after, and when you look at all those games they've got coming, they could easily, and in theory, he says, tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> yes. pick up five points from every game. So that would, if they did that in the next six matches and turn the tide, they would end on 31 points, and that's the semi-final in the Meads Cup. Yeah, OK. Well, they've got a bit of work to do. Uh, you mentioned Mid-Canterbury. Of course, we've already talked about them having lost two from two, but that's going to be a tough game, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because, I mean, you know, they're both yeah. in must-win territory, both those teams already. A hundred percent. And, um, of course, Nasi Manu got a try for Mid-Canterbury for the Hammers last weekend, so it was awesome to see that. Uh, but, yeah, they've, they've been taking some weird decisions, um, you know, where they should have been going for points. They've been going for the try line. Um, you know, the, the throw-ins and stuff like that. And I think that's what um, the, the lesson would be learnt from the defeat to East Coast. And um, they'll be taking all the points on offer against West Coast when offered. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, mm. they've got, a, as we said, a bit of work to do, so they'll need to do that. We're, a team we haven't really mentioned is Horofinua Kapiti. Uh, they did win first mm-hmm. round. Uh, they got beaten, well beaten by South Canterbury last round. Where do you think they sit this season? Uh, now you've seen two games. Yeah, I still think they'll be thereabouts in the Lahore Cup. Um, big game on Saturday at uh, Memorial Park in Marsden. They're, they're celebrating their 50th anniversary a year delayed um, since amalgamation back in 1971. So it's a big weekend. There is trophies on the line with the uh, Wrightson Cup. Um, and I just think uh, Wairapa Bush, after their performance last week, I think st- things are starting to click, and I think they will get up over Horofanua. But, um, yeah, I, I think the, the big thing is uh, Wairapa Bush, uh, get down there and celebrate 50 years. Um, and I think Horofanua, Wairapa Bush will be there or thereabouts in Lahore Cup. Yeah, OK. Yeah, the Bush uh, obviously didn't have a great start, but they uh, got close against Poverty Bay last week. And let's look at this weekend's fixtures then. Uh, mm-hmm. Kicking off the early kickoff, 12.05, Buller versus Poverty Bay. Uh, Buller be looking yep. to bounce back from, from that big loss. The Bay have been travelling pretty well so far this season. They have. It's, I suppose the only thing, question mark, I'll have there is the travel. They got upset with the travel going to King Country and then, you know, went down. They've got a tough trip to Westport, 
Um, and of course, um, on Saturday, it is the early game, it is on Sky, which is awesome to see. Uh, but it's also uh, Buller's Reunion Day, uh, celebrating 1972 and the um, uh, game um, 1992 and 2000 and whatever it was. I can't remember off the top of my head when they won the Lahore Cup. Um, but the thing is, they're having um, you know, all the oldies there, they're having reunions. And in about 10 minutes after I finish talking to you on here, uh, we'll be putting up a, a banner on their Facebook page. Uh, get down to the game, and the best banner at the game this weekend will win themselves a supporters jersey and a beanie. So uh, all courtesy of IT at work. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that post going on their Facebook page in the next 10, 20 minutes. Yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Uh, East Coast, home to the Butcher Boys. I know we've kind of mentioned this. East Coast have been travelling pretty mm-hmm. well. They had that big win uh, away at Mid-Canterbury. Uh, this is a whole new level, though, isn't it, uh, even though it is at home? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know me, um, East Coast through and through. Love the guys. Love the Wanganui people, too. And I'll have to go for the Wanganui one, and I'd have to lean to 20 points. I'm so sorry, Nadi Perot. Um, apologies, but yeah, Wanganui are going to be too strong for East Coast. Okay, uh, Mid Canterbury West Coast. We, you, you've already said that West Coast are going to win, and with a bonus point uh, here, uh, yep. you, you, you sticking to your guns there, um, even though this is uh, away. Yeah, twelve point win. Uh, I think it will be a twelve point win to West Coast. I have seen the team, which will be announced tomorrow, and they're looking very strong and uh, rearing to go, and their bench is very. Uh, Tidy as well, and you've got the you've got the bush up against uh, Horafinua Kapiti. You reckon that the bush will take that one out at home? They will, and it will be a close game too. I think Horafinua, um, and it will be a high-scoring game. The, the weather's meant to be yeah, okay, but the good thing is it's on the artificial turf uh, at Memorial Park. Uh, we often get some really good running there. Uh, but Sarah Waka, who came on, played last week against Poverty Bay, the fullback for Warrapa Bush. That was his debut in first class. And um, he's just carrying on where he left off in the club season. Um, so I think Wairapa Bush will be, uh, will be too strong. But I think that they'll get up and they'll probably win by eight. So 42-34. Yeah, it's going to be a high-scoring match, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. something like that. All right, King Country host uh, Thames Valley. Uh, I think the Swamp Foxes Mm -hmm. should have too much here, shouldn't they? Yeah, Battle of the Centurions. So not only was it Thames Valley's uh, centenary last week, but of course it's also King Country's centenary, both founded in 1922. And uh, so, yeah, um, good battle between the neighbours. Um, but yeah, Thames Valley to me will be far too strong for the uh, the for the Rams. Um, I'm I'm picking a twenty point win there for Thames Valley. Okay, and that leaves us with possibly uh, the game of the round, <laughs> third versus first. South Canterbury host North Otago. Not only the two two of the top mm. three teams, but a, a derby as well. Yeah, South Canterbury are going to be too good for North Otago. There you go. Um, yeah. it, it, it's been played in fairly. Uh, the game's on the road. Um, and, yeah, South Canterbury, um, I mean, e- even now, I, I think there's going to be a battle for who's going to come fourth um, in, in the Meads Cup semifinals. Um, but you can guarantee South Canterbury and Wanganui are going to be there. Yeah, and uh, North Otago might well be uh, making up uh, the third and fourth places in that. Uh, it's interesting you say, you know, a 68-point win last week, 
and you were that close to go, nope, South Canterbury are going to win this. Uh, so, yeah, we'll look, yeah. look forward to that game, uh, the late kickoff, uh, well, sorry, the last game of the round uh, on Saturday. Hey, Kevin, uh, thanks very much uh, for talking Heartland Rugby with us. Kevin, of course, runs rugbyheartland.co.nz. I do have to ask you, though, uh, the All Blacks against mm-hmm. Argentina in Hamilton on All Saturday. Blacks. 13 points plus to the All Blacks. I will never bet against them. Do you believe that, though, or are you just saying that because you want to be patriotic? I mean, what, what, how many changes are you expecting to this all-black team? Do you think Foster has it in him to make changes? Well, Bowden Barrett will start. Retallick will come in. We probably will see RTS, uh, but it will be much of a muchness. And, I, yeah, I mean, you've got to, as a fan, you've got to take the wins and the losses. And, okay, we've been doing it hard. But, um, you know, I'll always back the All Blacks, and it's not my head, it's not my heart. Well, it is my heart. But, you know, um, yeah, no, I'll always back the All Blacks, and uh, anyone else that uh, comes up against them, it's always the All Blacks. All right, good stuff, Kevin. Sorry about that. That's all right, mate. That's all right. You've got to to stick to your guns, mate. Stick to your guns. Keep up the good work at rugbyheartland.co.nz too, eh? Yeah, too, true, and I've got a tip in the horses for you if you want, because oh. I know you guys do the horses. Yeah, we do a bit of horse horse racing. What's the tip? Okay, race three at Rickerton tomorrow. Uh, there is a uh, a, a young uh, mare running there, and it goes by the name of Coralie, and that just happens to be the name of the good wife. Oh, really? So, <laughs> so what's yeah. Coralie? What's Coralie playing, paying? Do you know? Uh, yes, she is uh, currently on the TAB. Oh, I just clicked the wrong race, of course. Uh, she is currently paying there uh, five twenty on the tote, uh, third or fourth favourite, and she's picked to be in the top five. Coralie. So, uh, yeah, and, and yeah, so I, I, I get the opportunity to scream faster, Coralie. I get the whip out. <laughs> I think we will leave that conversation there, Kevin. Thanks very much, mate. Go well. Cheerio. Cheers. Okay. See ya. It's 14 away from eight. Coralie, race three at Rickerton tomorrow. That's uh, that's the, the the tip from Kevin here. Paying 16s and 360 or 520 on the tote. Uh, this is SENZ Extra Time. Keep your texts coming through. What do you think that All Black team will look like come Saturday? This is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock. Uh, just updating you uh, on the NPC game uh, currently going on at Orange Theory Stadium in Christchurch. It is halftime. Canterbury lead Harbour 25-10. to 10, And uh, they've uh, really pulled it on. It was tight early on. It was about, uh, it was, well, it was 6-0 after a quarter of an hour. And Harbour had been putting the pressure on, but uh, they couldn't capitalise. Uh, Punavai scored a try for the Cantabs uh, before Stevenson hit back with a penalty for North Harbour. And then Dallas McLeod crossed for a try. Willie Hines has also done the same. Well, he got hit hard as he, he went through a pack of forwards right on the line, uh, just uh, sort of over this uh, over this ruck to score the try and got smashed as he was doing it. But he still dotted down and um, Bounce back up, uh, so that gave the Cantabs a twenty-five to three lead with Alex Harford uh, being very good with the booties. He's missed one conversion, uh, but he has collected plenty of points uh, for the Cantabs. He's got eight. What are these? He's got ten points with the boots, so uh, not too bad. And then Kalapu crossed for uh, North Harbour. Stevenson converted that as well, right on half time. So twenty five ten, the half time score there in the Bunnings NPC, and uh, it's 
It's going to be a tight game. Looking forward to the second half of that. And this morning, uh, New Zealand named their sevens team for the Rugby World Cup sevens in Cape Town. Uh, now, this is that team. Kurt Baker is uh, is there at 33. Dylan Collier at 31. Scott Curry at 34. The captain uh, or co-captain is Sam Dixon, 32. So you'd think a lot of these guys might be their last World Cup. Moses Leo uh, from North Harbour is all there, is in there as well. Narohi Magavi Black out of uh, East Coast. Uh, Sione Molia is the other co-captain. He's there. Tony uh, Ing Shu from Tasman. Uh, Amanaki Nicole. Lewis Ormond. Akuila uh, Rokolisoa from Counties Manukau. Brady Rush, Caleb Tangitao as well, and Regan Weir uh, from Tasman. So that is the team. Tim Mickelson, Rhodes Featherston, uh, Kitiona Vai, Joe Weber, Leroy Carter, Roderick Solo, Che Clark, and Andrew Newstub, all unavailable due to injury. So that is the All Blacks Sevens team. Uh, it's a, a, a lot of injuries, but uh, hopefully they go all right over there. And then the Blackfern Sevens team has also been named for the Sevens World Cup. Michaela Blyde, uh, Kelly Brazier, Stacey Flula, uh, Sarah Hidney, Jasmine Felix-Hothman, Shirai Kaka, uh, Georgia Miller as well, Risa Puri Lane, Alina Saili, uh, Niall Williams, Tenika Willison, Portia Woodman are all. That is the that is the team. Tyler Nathan Wong, uh, Shakira Baker, and Taisha Ikinasio are all unavailable uh, due to injury there. So a few injuries for both the men's and women's sevens teams uh, to deal with. But uh, pretty strong, pretty strong. Uh, I think you'd have to agree. Uh, looking at that sevens World Cup coming up on the show. Uh, we are going to be talking football for the next little while because uh, Jacob Spoonley, the former all-white goalkeeper, is going to be in studio with us. Uh, we're going to be looking at a bunch of things because the new format National League gets underway shortly. We'll be talking about that, how it works and the makeup of it because that has just been confirmed. Also, uh, coming up, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend is the both the Kate Shepherd and Chatham Cup finals as well. So we'll talk those. The football ferns are in the United States. They've got a couple of games coming up in the next week or so against Mexico and the Philippines, so we'll talk about that. We'll get the latest on some of the Kiwis overseas. We'll talk about the Phoenix, who play tonight in the Australian Cup uh, up against MacArthur FC in Sydney. That one kicks off at 9.30, so we'll uh, we'll talk about all that. Plus, we'll look to Europe as well. We'll talk the Champions League draw. We will also talk the EPL. We'll talk the transfer window and how much more business is going to be done in the next what 24 to 48 hours all of that and more we'll have a few guests as well Jordan Canelis uh, works for SEN over in Australia as an A-League commentator he's going to join us at nine o'clock to preview that Phoenix game against MacArthur and maybe give us a bit of an insight into how Dwight York is going as a head coach and also Gordon Glenn Watson as well uh, part of the Auckland City setup we'll talk about how their season has been so far undefeated so far in this calendar year and uh, it's all to do for the other teams chasing them as to how they're going to go plus of course he's a mad passionate Rangers fan and they have just made the group stage of the Champions League for the first time in a long time and oh who have they drawn? Jacob Spoonley's Liverpool so we might get a little bit of testing that's going on with that coming up next here on SENZ The world of football hitting the back of the net every week on Extra Time
Yes, it is the SNZ Extra Time, and of course, uh, it's the uh, best song in the world. Uh, but it's not that actually that song because I can't remember it. So that is just a, a tribute to the best song in the world, obviously, which is fantastic. Have you have you have you seen the pick of Destiny, Jacob Spoonley? Let's let's start our, our football segment on a high. Let's talk about Tenacious D. I haven't seen the pick of Destiny, but I, I do love Tenacious D, and I did see Jack Black doing wonderful things during lockdown, including that Spider-Man remix. I think it was, oh, not a remix, but the um, the tribute as well. Yeah, no, absolutely um, amazing human being, that man. Yeah, he is a very funny man. I saw them. Uh, he was out here, I think, filming King Kong, and he did. And he and he, I ran, I ran into him. I don't know him, but I just it was one of those randoms. I was working in Ponsonby, and he was sat out the front of a cafe, just on the side of the street, having a coffee. And you know, he's kind of got one of those recognisable faces. So I said hi to him before I realised who it was, just thinking, oh, I know that guy. Of course, and you know, something that's amazing. A- I don't know if I'm going to get all the details right, but his mum wrote the code for Apollo 11 wow. to get them back into the atmosphere. She wrote the distress code or something like that. So when it went horribly wrong and you saw Tom Hanks reenacting it, yeah, that was Jack Black's mum that was in charge of the code that got the space shuttle back down to Earth. Wow. There you go. That's a, that's a great piece of trivia. Did not did not know that. Well done, Jacob Spoonley. Yeah, and then she uh, produced Jack Black. So you know, yeah, it's it's, it's win win, <laughs> win win. Um, also, they, I think when they were out here, they did a show at the St James before the St James could close oh. down. Yeah, great stuff. Anyway, we got you in, mate. Thanks for coming and uh, to talk some uh, talk some football for the next couple of hours. Plenty to talk, and you brought us in a, a shirt as well. Tell us about the shirt that you've brought in for us to give away. Well, the All Whites uh, are moving into their next iteration of kit, uh, and it is a wonderful kit that they've had over the past couple of years from Nike. So um, I'm not sure when exactly we'll see it, but a home game would probably be the obvious time to start. In September? Potentially. Um, And what we've got there is a shirt that was worn by the likes of Costa Barbarossa's Chris Wood um, back, I think, in around about the Peru game. So it's a black kit. Mm. It's one to give away. I think, you know, we've got to make a, a wonderful job of promoting this game against the Socceroos. First time that we're playing them in 11 years. First home game in, I think, four or five years, Ricardo. And this is something that we should be doing every year or every second year up against the boys in the green and gold. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful game to be a part of. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, mate. Looking forward to being at Eden Park to see the the All-Whites take on the Socceroos. Here we go. And this one could, could be one for Mr. Francis there as well. Trivia yeah. time. When yeah. was the last time they played in Eden Park, Ricardo? Open-ended question. I don't have the answer. I think... Uh, there was a game in the early to mid '80s at Eden Park, potentially against Israel, I think. Okay. Uh, for the back when Israel was in Oceania, yeah, of, because yeah, that makes bizarrely. all the sense in the yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think it would, so. It might have been around '85, somewhere around there. Someone said that Noel Barkley might have played in the game. So, so that timing works. Yeah, maybe, maybe. That's yeah. and that's the only connection I've got to their last game at Eden Park. But gives you another idea of how we don't play football, international football, regularly down this part of the world. Yeah, I, I remember going and seeing us play Israel 
in a World Cup qualifier as a kid. And uh, Ronnie Rosenthal, who used to play for Liverpool, was in the Israel team, and Winton Rufer was playing for the All Whites. And we, I think we won, from, I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty sure we won 3-1, and Winton scored two, and one of them was a blinder from outside the area. Oh, that sounds like Winton, doesn't it? It does, it does. But I, I, I still think that that was at Mount Smart rather than at Eden Park, so might have to check our dates. Might have to check, or I might have to check my head. One of the, <laughs> one of the two, mate. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Um, now, we do have Gordon Glenn Watson coming on the show in around 10 minutes' time because, of course, he's affiliated with Auckland City, runs all their media as well. And, man, what a season they have had. Uh, I think I've got this right. They have played something like 25 games yes. and won 24 and drawn one. Yes. So unbeaten this calendar year. And the game that they drew was against Hamilton Hamilton Wanderers mm. back in round three of the Northern League. So they're not quite done with the season yet. They've got to go and play the National League. But they've basically been on absolute tear since round three of the National League. Yeah, which uh, is... Northern League. Northern League, yeah. Now, um, one thing I did want to clear up, because uh, I was talking about this, teasing this, uh, is the National League, and you, you're probably the man to do it, in terms of the format and how it works... I think from memory, what will happen is that... I expect the start to be a lot stronger. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of football going on at the moment, Ricardo, so you're going to have to bear with me. Sure. We've got the Ferns this weekend. We've got the All-Whites coming back in at the end of next month. We've got A-League um, men's starting in October shortly after the All-Whites game. We've got A-League women starting shortly thereafter that. We've got EPL. We've got Danish Super League at the moment with a whole bunch of Kiwis in there. So I've got quite a bit on the plate, but I think what will happen is that we will see four teams from the Northern League, four teams from the Central League, and I believe it is two teams from the Southern League mm-hmm. competing in a homogenized version of the regional leagues, which will be the National League. And as part of that, we will have the likes of Birkenhead United, Auckland City FC, Melville from the Waikato, uh, Auckland United, uh, and then we've also got Wellington Olympic, um, the Wellington Phoenix Reserves, I believe, mm-hmm. Miramar and yep. Napier City, and Strong. then Kashmir Tech and Canterbury United from the southern region. Yeah, well, that is it's going to be a pretty strong league, and you know what stands came home at, strong there, Ricardo. Yeah, you did. What 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 does stand out to me from a northern league point of view is the geographical spread. You've got a team from the North Shore, yes, in Birkenhead. You've got Auckland City, who are a central team, Auckland United, who are a South Auckland team, and then a team out of Hamilton. That seems to be a really good representation of the north. Absolutely. Absolutely, and I think that is the way to you want to see this sort of stuff play out. Eastern Suburbs missed out, and we'll get on to them in a second, but um, it is exactly what you want to see. You want to see that North Shore representation, you want to see the Central Auckland representation, and then you want to see someone from South Auckland, um, and then if you have to, you know, Hamilton Wanderers. <laughs> well, it was them or Melville. I mean, uh, until, until Tauranga City get it together and get up there, you know, we're going to have to deal with they that. They pushed for promotion out of the Div 1 this year, so you might see them knocking around. They've got... Um, they're starting to really put a lot of investment into their youth development, so they've got a good generation of players coming through. They, they were always strong with youth development, but then they would lose the players somewhere for tertiary. Wellington Phoenix, Raleigh Bidois. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's, I mean, when I was living down there in the mid '90s, there were a lot of good players that came out of there and then ended up playing for Waikato or would yeah. end up in Auckland playing for somebody else. You know, so it is uh, has no been, Gisborne Thistle this year, though, Ricardo. Unfortunate, unfortunate, no Gisborne Thistle. Oh, they, they're the stories they wrote. Of course, we should talk Chatham Cup as well uh, because that is next weekend yes. and it is two Auckland teams in the Chatham Cup final, Auckland City and Eastern Suburbs. So Eastern Suburbs last tilt at winning some silverware? 
Eastern Suburbs last title winning some silverware. Absolutely. They haven't performed in the Northern League this year, so they haven't got qualification to the National League. We would have expected them to be in the conversation, but they kind of fell off quite early. And the reason for that was a pretty unlucky combination of injuries. So they, they didn't have key players. But we have seen since Kane Wintersgill came back from um, being part of the all-white squad, a more resolute, a more robust defensive display from Eastern Suburbs. And you'd look at the Chatham Cup final on paper, Auckland City up against Eastern Suburbs. Auckland City, as we said, haven't lost a game this year. They have drawn only one of their 25 fixtures. They have scored 23 goals in five matches in the Chatham Cup, only conceding three. You'd expect this to be an absolute blowout. Um, But, and the only caveat against that is that this is a final. This is finals football. It's 90 minutes. It's do or die. And this Eastern Suburbs team has demonstrated over the course of their Chatham Cup run that they do know how to buck the trend. They do know how to upset the apple cart and they will be an absolute headache to deal with from Auckland City's point of view. And the other thing is, unlike the Northern League or the National League, there is no limit on the amount of foreigners you can have and both the Suburbs and Auckland City have more than their fair share on the books. Yeah, it is true. And um, if you do want to look at the quality that both sides possess, uh, a lot of that is local. So like Sir Calvin Carlow, Joe Knowles and Goal, who's uh, along with um, Ayan Raj, is part of the under-20 setup at the moment, and they did play Fiji today. So um, it is a youthful-looking Eastern Suburbs side, but you're right, the quality for both teams um, – there's a little bit of sprinkling of like some exoticness to it. So Adam Thurston, for example, um, he's going to be the main target for Eastern Suburbs. Stephen Hoyle, um, as much as I love the man, potentially not the threat that he used to be. So they will look to Adam Thurston to try and unlock the Auckland City defence, potentially hit them on the counter at times. But then if you look at Auckland City, Emiliano Tade, really hard to go past the quality that that man possesses. Um, so he's going to be the talisman for this Auckland City side. We've seen him with late cameos coming off the bench, 70, 80 minutes, and when the game is that when it's so developed, you do see Emmy getting a lot of time and space, which is where he is very dangerous. I'll tell you what, the boss could do a job with the boots on still too, probably. Boss the middle of the park. Are you talking about Mr. Vesilich? Yes. <laughs> Had him in the office today, not moving as freely as he used to be, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the godfather. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too many late nights at Gina's. That's what it is. That's what it is. There you go. Gigi's and Gina's. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it is 11 past eight here on SENZ Extra Time, uh, the world of football. We are looking at it, Jacob Spoonley and I. Uh, through till 10 o'clock tonight when we come back, Gordon Glenn Watson joins us. Uh, we're going to talk some Auckland City. We might even talk a little bit of spite in the Champions League between Glasgow Rangers and Liverpool. Had a busy day? Catch up on what you've missed in the world of sport. It's Extra Time on SENZ. It's 16 past eight here on the World of Football on SENZ with Ricardo Ball and Jacob Spoonley. Text us through any questions you've got for any of our guests or for Jacob or for myself. Everybody that texts through goes in the draw to win this uh, black. It's their black away kit uh, from Nike from New Zealand with the ferns down the sleeves. 
Text us your seat number. We want to know that you've already bought tickets, right, Ricardo. I okay. think that's what we're going for. T- text us your seat number. Where are you going to be sitting for the game between the All Whites and the Socceroos on the 25th of September? A man that I know that will probably be there. He is our halftime correspondent live from Seddon Field, uh, Western Springs taking on <laughs> Auckland City. Gordon Glenn Watson, how are you, sir? Yeah, very good. Uh, how are you both? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. How, what's the score at half time? Uh, Western Springs nil, Auckland City four. Ooh, are you warming up, mate? Or they, they might, they might, they might decide to rest a few for the weekend and give you a run. Oh no, no, no. We we, we gave up on that uh, particular fantasy uh, over a decade ago. I'm pretty sure. But uh, yeah, look, it's been a good performance by Auckland City. There's five key players that aren't involved. Uh, Cam Howison is one. He's suspended. Dylan Manikin is carrying an injury, Ryan DeVries as well. Angus Kilcolly, as we know, is a long-term absentee. So, yeah, players are putting up their hands for the Chatham Cup final on September 11. And what a, what a game is going to be, Gordon. How much focus has there been on that match at this point, in particular given that it's up against Eastern Suburbs? Well, the players obviously had a, a very intensive last couple of months, uh, 14 games in eight weeks, which is a pretty hectic schedule, as you can imagine. You can also see that there's some wear and tear in the squad uh, with the lineup that's been picked today. So they've only just gone back into training. They've got uh, the second half of this game to get through, and then they play Auckland United on Saturday, which is going to be a massive game for both clubs. And then there's a full week to prepare for uh, the Cup final. And... Yeah, they're very focused. They're taking uh, this game with, with Springs and, and the derby with Auckland United very, very seriously. And as you know yourself, as a, a former Central and uh, Auckland City player, that you know the competition for places always keeps everyone on their toes. Gordon, what's it meant uh, for Albert and Ivan uh, putting this team together with the restrictions in the league in terms of the number of imports you're allowed to field, having injuries to guys like Dylan and Cam? Because I imagine those guys are two of the first names on the team sheet uh, when it comes to putting a team together. And, of course, they are two of the Kiwis. Well, look, I mean, that's the exact same question almost uh, of of Albert very recently for um, internal club media and... He said to me, look, the players have been training as a group since last November because there was a potential to go to a Club World Cup. And he said, preparation, he said, these players are prepared, they are ready. And he said, when we have injuries, we now have players who have got so many minutes under their belt that they can just step in. Um, And and you get that extra edge because of the incentive of playing in the Champions Cup final. For many of them, uh, for example, Ryan DeVries, he hasn't won it before. So I know that he has been saying to some of the other players that, you know, come on, we've got to put this uh, particular situation right and standing in front of them is an eastern suburbs side that has improved rapidly since the middle part of the season. Yeah, they have. Uh, mate, I, I guess the uh, the other part too uh, that you've got to think about is that the eastern suburbs side that they'll play in the Cup is probably going to look quite different to the eastern suburbs side they will have played in the league due to the fact that you don't have that restriction on imports in the Cup. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, mean I, th- I think for both clubs anyway, you have uh, squads that are, are fairly settled. You know, they're, they're all mainly Kiwi players anyway. I think with the exception of Angel Belanga and Jared Gariga and Emi Tade, I think out of the 24. Uh, it'll be the same for Eastern Suburbs. I think they are coming into the game and they get a free hit. Uh, if you look at the, the way that they were tracking the first part of the season, it didn't look good. Uh, didn't look good for their under-23s, but with the return of Kane Windersgill, um, the addition of one or two 
uh, extra players uh, that came in partway through the year, they've slowly but surely come come along. And look, I, I still think that Eastern Suburbs will have to play, you know, everyone will have to play a 9 out of 10 on the day and Auckland will have to have an um, off day. But again, you know, how, how many times have we seen in a Challenge Cup final uh, the game go all the way to penalties or there'd be, you know, six goals in a 3-3 draw type scenario. So it's one to look forward to. And just looking at the season overall at the moment, Gordy, in the Cup alone, 23 goals and only three conceded in five games, 25-odd games played, 19, uh, 24 wins, one draw. That is an absolute behemoth of a season for a juggernaut of a team. How has Albia been able to keep standards up so high for so long? I think because he, he has set standards himself. I mean, when Albert Riera speaks, you listen. And he's been very direct with these players. When they haven't been performing, he tells them. And he tells them on club media. Uh, I recall a game, we went down to Melville. We, uh, were, Auckland City were winning 1-0. They conceded a penalty in the last minute. Connor Tracy saved it. I asked Albert, you know, what did you think of that? You've come away with three points. And he said, well, we came away with three points, but we didn't play well. And that performance was unacceptable. And he said, I told the players on Thursday when they were training that if they trained or played as badly as they were training that particular night, then, you know, we would somewhere along the line come a cropper and lose a match. And the players respect him. Uh, They respond to what he's got to say. He's very empathetic. He's a good man manager. But he's also honest. He's honest. And I think the players understand that honesty, Um, particularly coming from a player who's played against Juventus, played um, for the A-League All-Stars in the A-League for for many, many years and and also a very decorated uh, Auckland City FC player. So, look, I think Albert Riera can go a very long way in the game as far as he wants to go. It's really going to be up to him. Uh, You forgot to mention that he also played with Jacob Spoonley, Gordon Glenn Watson. (laughs) (laughs) Um, in well, ter- we tried to look forward, Jake, as much as we were. <laughs> <laughs> I get that answer a lot, Gordon, for some reason. Um, hey, we've we've spoken quite a bit before you came on about the players that are the ones to watch out for, particularly those uh, not from New Zealand. Are there any young Kiwis in this Auckland City side that are worth looking out for on the 11th of September? Yeah, I think Matt Ellis has got a really good case to be included. Um, Matt Ellis has been to the United States. He went there through the Stride program. It didn't work out first time around. He came back to Auckland City. Uh, His goals-to-game ratio is incredible, really. Like, uh, I've been covering the club uh, on and off uh, over an 18-year period, and his goals-to-game ratio, I think it's 50%. He's played now nearly 18 games for the club and scored nine goals. Uh, he's been among the goals uh, this evening as well. He's got beautiful ball craft. When he has the ball at feet and he's moving at pace, he can break from midfield, break defensive lines, and come up with a finish. And at Auckland City, and you'll remember this, Jacob, when you have those three players in midfield, they're not really expected to come up with a lot of goals. So if you do possess one like that, it's a very special quality to have. And uh, He's very different to Cam House, and Cam is more, uh, you know, he brings more physicality and, and uh, experience to that midfield. But Matt Ellis on his day is uh, quite an exciting player. Another one I'd like to mention is uh, the emergence of a, a youngster from the under 23s called Adam Bell. 
Adam made his debut for the club uh, as a substitute in the Chatham Cup, and then he has just started his first game for the club this evening. I've had the privilege to watch Adam develop and play in the Lotto NRFL Under-23 Prem Division, and he's he's a very good young player. I know that Albert Riera uh, rates him very, very highly. I think the Chatham Cup final might come uh, a little bit too quickly for, for Adam, but certainly um, he's one to keep an eye on in the future, and, and Matt Ellis, who knows, we'll have to wait and see what uh, squad uh, Albert comes up with in, in that final week. And what about Joseph Lee? He's been playing on the right wing, a left footer. Seems to be one that Albert really rates because he's mixing it up with the likes of Ryan DeFries, Dylan Manikam, and sometimes keeping Emi Tade on the bench. Yeah, well, Joe plays wide in, in the front three. He's, he can swap flanks, but he came to the club via North Shore United where he had played mainly through the middle, even as a central midfielder. So there's been a period of adaptation, and I know Riera has worked very closely with Joe Lee to help him through that transformation. And yes, in a team that's very successful, that has a very defined style of play, that is very focused on attacking teams, a player like Joe Lee has really thrived. Perhaps where he got his first real big test was in the OFC Champions League, and I think he found the physicality and the intensity of international competition a real eye-opener. Um, but nevertheless, I, I, I believe uh, Albert Riera will, will keep the faith with him for sure. And look, he's, he started, I think, 27 games a season. So for sure, he'll be in the uh, mix to start against Eastern Suburbs. Uh, Gordon, I know you, you, you're, you're uh, pressed for time because you're, you're covering a game. It's at halftime. That's why we've rung you when we've rung you. Uh, but before we yeah. do uh, move on, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, you know the, the true blue that you are, uh, your reaction to the, <laughs> the, the Champions League draw, not just yourselves, of course, but uh, your crosstown rivals, uh, both in the group stage of the Champions League for the first time in 12 years, uh, and you draw uh, some pin-top uh, tin pot team from Liverpool. You should feel um, very privileged, Gordy. <laughs> you should feel very privileged. You get to come to Anfield. It's going to be good, mate. You, get, you get obviously already yeah, banked I, six I, points. I like How do you feel Jacob, about it? <laughs> look, I, I like it when Jacob talks like that, you know, and he starts to make out that this is a kind of a royalty thing because when you come up to Glasgow <laughs> well, and we get a free hit at Liverpool, uh, you better brace yourself. And look, I, you know, I say that as a joke, but in all seriousness, you know, Celtic versus Real Madrid in the opening game of their group, look, no matter what happens in that game, regardless of whether uh, Celtic win or lose, the atmosphere is going to be fantastic. And uh, the same will be uh, true of the, the two games between Rangers and Liverpool. I think from a Rangers point of view, the games with Napoli and, and Ajax are vital. But I've got some faith there. I think uh, Ibrox will be tough for Napoli. I think Ajax will find it tough. I think Rangers will travel well to Ajax. And I just wish, as a fan, if I can say this, I just wish that Rangers were playing Liverpool at Ibrox first because I think if they could get that game under their belt and have a really good night, then going down to Anfield's a lot easier. But having that first up is really tough. For Celtic, yeah, uh, look, they have a particular style of play where they leave it all out on the park in that first half hour. And if they don't score a few goals in that half hour, then it's very difficult for them. It's worked um, though, that. Cordy. Oh, well, in that Champions League group, if you're going to play like that against those teams, um, yeah, we'll see. But Postacoglu's doing a good job. I, I can't begrudge uh, Andrew Postacoglu compliments for that. He's, uh, you know, defied all the expectations. Um 
and it's going to be close in Scotland again, really close. And, and the, I want to add as well, Hearts are in the uh, Conference League group stages after they uh, got through their uh, qualifying playoff uh, with, a, with a Swiss team. So it's good for Scottish football uh, to see the top three clubs there. And it all came about as a result of the coefficient. And, uh, you know, you can thank Rangers for that to get to the Europa League last season. Yeah, that's 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 massive. i tell you, the other piece of news I saw, uh, Gordy, I don't think it's been confirmed yet, but it's very strong rumour that uh, one Duncan Disorderly Ferguson is going to be the new boss at Dundee and <laughs> United. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad. Uh, I'd be glad for... Uh, Dundee United if he went there you know he's at a good point in his life uh, in his late 40s uh, I think he'd be ready to take on a job of that type uh, not the Duncan disorderly of maybe 20 years ago um, but he's got a lot of good uh, reps when he stepped into the breach at Everton so uh, perhaps we'll see the emergence of uh, Duncan Ferguson, the manager, in his own right in the SPFL. Oh, yeah, I can, and I can tell you too, mate, don't worry about going to Anfield. Um, their right-back's always out of position, so just bomb there. Uh, their centre-back's <laughs> I'm going to jump in. You cannot pace. talk about Champions League football, <laughs> Ricardo Ball. <laughs> European, proper European <laughs> nights, Gordy, mate. You and me. <laughs> They've got got nothing on the left now that have sold Mane, mate. You know, they're just chances. And even the bloke on the right's gone off the boil. I mean, win 9 0, he can't even get an assist. So hook him, he's doing nothing, that Salah bloke. So, mate, you've got nothing to worry about. Gordy, don't worry about it. It's all good. Well, look, I am rather worried because both Liverpool and Celtic have beaten teams 9 0, and we've got Celtic on on, uh, Sunday in the first Old Firm game of the season. Uh, I'm sorry, on Saturday, Saturday night. So um, at Parkhead, that'll be a difficult game, but it'll be a good uh, sighter for what's to come for the rest of the season. Yeah, it will be, mate. Hey, listen, thanks for coming on. I know the teams will be just about out, and you'll have to get back to uh, your, your job as media manager for uh, Auckland City, but I appreciate you giving us some time, mate. Thanks, Gordy. No, pleasure as always. Cheers, mate. Uh, Gordon Glenn Watson there giving us some insight into Auckland City and also uh, Glasgow Rangers as well. Um, yeah, I thought that'd be it's interesting. Hey, Duncan Ferguson was number two at Everton for so long, former Rangers player as well. But uh, yeah, looking like he's going to be in charge of a bunch of Aussies at, <laughs> at Dundee and United. I, I wonder how Colin Kukovic is feeling about that. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. Um, a, a really cosmopolitan mix of fans at Auckland City, Colin Cook. Um, not Croatian, uh, but uh, definitely part of the infrastructure there and a Dundee United man. So I don't think he would have been happy about Mark Berrigetti liking the Joe Hart post after they lost 9-0. That was not a good step from the young man. Yeah, and who else have they got there? Who's the left back? As is Bayic has gone there as well. Bayic has gone there as well. There was a mass, mass Mozzie migration into the SPFL. Atkinson um, joined Devlin. Uh, at Hearts, um, there's one that I'm missing out there. Um, Kai Rolls is in the backline at Hearts as well, and then you look at the likes of um, Bacchus who had an immediate impact at St Mirren. Um, it is really a good uh, thing for football in this part of the world because it will mean that there's more eyeballs on the A League because if they're producing over there, they'll come back to the well. Yeah, and I tell you, the thing that has surprised me this season, and we'll get to, we'll talk more about the Phoenix in a bit, in a bit, but. How is Ollie Sale not somewhere else? Because I thought that he was gone for all money. Yeah, it was it was an interesting one. There was a lot of interest in him, and I think what people don't always appreciate is that there there are plans that are put in place. This is a business, and um, sometimes the dominoes don't quite fall in your favour. Um, but that doesn't mean that Ollie's chances by any means gone. He is still looked at very favourably, and I think it's going to come about 
sooner rather than later. Um, okay. if, if I, and I haven't heard any updates on this, Ricardo. This is purely my speculation. I think the one thing that really did hamstring him was the game in against Peru in Spain. Yep. He didn't uh, have a great game, which was capped off by that mistake. And that wouldn't have been a good um, <clears throat> capturing of the moment by him. And then against Costa Rica in a match... What was it, 100 and something versus 32? Yeah. You expect him to be busy? Had nothing to do. True. So that's one where there's probably more head scratches or maybe like they didn't see the answers that they were hoping for as part of that 180 minutes package. Uh, but hopefully he comes back and has a good set of games against Australia at the end of next month. Yeah, fingers crossed. The Phoenix starting 11 has been announced for the Cup game tonight against MacArthur as well. Ollie Sale is in goal. Uh, the back four is Callan Elliott, Josh Laws, Scott Wooten and Sam Sutton. Midfield is Clayton Lewis and Nicholas Pennington. He's got Ben Old and uh, Bozadir Krajev ahead of, uh, ahead of uh, that midfield. And then up front, Ben Wayne, Costa Barbarousas on the bench. Alex Paulson, Finn Suman, Tim Payne, Oscar Van Haddam, uh, Jan Saas, Noah uh, Karanarat and Riley Bidois. That is the Phoenix team for uh, tonight. We'll talk more about that game in a little bit with Jordan Canelis, SEN A-League commentator after 9 o'clock. Up next, though, Stephen Hoyle joins us out of Eastern Suburbs. 22 minutes away from nine here on SENZ, the world of football. Ricardo Ball, Jacob Spoonley with you and joining us out of Eastern Suburbs, Chatham Cup finalist is Stephen Hoyle. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for giving us some time tonight. Are you, you managed, has this got you out of the warm down laps at training? No, no, quite the opposite. Hoyle really doesn't train maybe, anymore, but... mate. His body <laughs> yeah, can't no. take it. He just plays 90 <laughs> minutes to 90 minutes. <laughs> I just wait for the cup games, but you're up, you're absolutely lucky. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, a Jacob knows I've got a form on fold at home. So if it was another ten minutes, I'd have probably been asleep. So you've got <laughs> just before bed. So that's all right. Uh, good stuff, Hoyley. Now uh, things, of course, uh, at suburbs um, haven't had the best of seasons, I guess, in the Northern Prem. But you've had a, a great cup run. Uh, so I guess it's it's, it's a bit uh, all on the line for you next weekend, isn't it? Your last chance to grab some silverware for the season. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's super exciting to have a, a good cup run. Obviously, we were quite frustrated this year with, uh, I think, the amount of injuries and stuff we picked up to, I think, as more senior players. So it's nice to kind of be getting those lads back now for the for the cup games and we'll charge into next week. It's going to be a, a bit weird for a lot of us because it's a long a long break with no, no National League for us, no summer footy. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best next weekend. Now, we'll just pause on looking forward to the final and look back towards the semi-final, Hoyley. Uh, and I'm just going to ask you point blank: Was that a penalty? Of course it was, because I played three times. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you haven't seen the game, there was a, a call around about the 60 minute mark where um, there was a tackle looked like to me about to be about a meter outside the box, but it was ultimately given a penalty, um, and. That is history, but what was a really cool moment, Hoyley, was at the end of the game when you guys were almost out on your feet. You defended so well for the 30-minute period that was left in the match to keep that win. And once the ref, once the whistle had le- left the referee's lips, you had all the junior players run onto the field, mate. That must have been a fairly special moment. Yeah, it was, was super, super cool. Like, um Obviously, a lot of the a lot of the junior players from the club were there watching, and um, then then to do that after it was it was a it was a real special feeling. And then um, we actually went into the changing room, and we have a couple of sort of songs, and a couple of members of staff will not be named. We're doing the best to not let the kids into the changing room while I was doing the best 
to let the kids into the changing room. And then we ended up with about 100 kids in there all singing and dancing as well. So it was, it was, a, it was a whole lot of fun after the game, definitely. Well, let's talk about the staff members and Kane Wintersgill, mate. So um, has he been a bit of the change to the team since coming back in from all-whites duty off the back of the Costa Rica match? Um, yeah, well, Kane obviously has a lot of quality in terms of um, like his tactical analysis, setting teams up to play. So I, I, it, I, doing tactics all week, I'm sure it's going to be very, very heavy next week. I prefer me small-sided games, mate, and a few juggles in the warm-up. But he's, you don't have the attention span, Hoyley? Is that what you're saying? No, not, not at all. <laughs> he, he, actually laughs, he actually laughs about how long he's got me for when, when, we, when we're doing video reviews and stuff. But he's um, no, on, on, in terms of his detail and his, and his quality in terms of setting a team up he's he's very very good and and obviously i think i think you can see the results we've had since he's come in he's, he's definitely helped us as a as a team and looking at what you've got on the pitch so obviously kane's going to set you up to frustrate auckland city they are as we mentioned earlier in the hour a bit of a juggernaut who is he going to rely on who are the standout players in this eastern suburbs team that are going to either stop auckland city or cause them a threat at the other end of the field well, I think I think obviously the brother-in-law Adam Thurston, with how his move across town to them went, with him being injured for a large period of it and needing an operation, then coming back to us, I think he has a bit between his teeth, and and you know he's missed this this whole season really through injury and until the semi-final. So he has he has a a lot to prove, I would say, against them. And then who's going to frustrate him? Hopefully, all eleven of us, because as you say, mate, it's not it's not it's not it's not. It's no, it's no, it's no, you know, understatement about their quality at New Zealand level. They are the, they are the best team in the country by, by quite a distance, I would say, if, if we're being honest. But in a one-off game, why not? Like I, I love these occasions for a start, and I want to play against the best players that I can. So hopefully, I can frustrate them a bit at the back as well. So we'll, we'll see how we go. Yeah, you, you mentioned your brother-in-law there, not long back from injury. Does that mean you're going to have to do his running for him, Stephen? Definitely not, mate. I think everyone else is going to have to do hard running for us. If you, yeah, if you come and watch me play, mate, I'll be trying to be parked up in one spot in the middle of that back three and and not doing too much about from heading it and kicking it. Definitely not. Definitely not running, mate. And looking at a bit more, um, with a bit more focus into who's going to stop them, Joe Knowles and goal, a youngster, part of this New Zealand under-20s team that's going away to qualifiers uh, later on next month. Um, he's going to be called upon in some large moments. I can imagine getting the crystal ball out. How has he been this season and how much progression have you seen from him? Uh, I think Joe's a really, my favourite thing about Joe is um, he communicates like he's a you know a thirty year old as a goalkeeper and he has a, is a good you know he's, he has a, he's not the biggest stature for you know he's still a young lad but he has a, a great presence about him between the sticks and just his maturity is really really good like as soon as he, he come in I was quite taken aback with how well he communicates for his young age and then also the lads Jackson Arian and him were you know in that twenty squad I think we're really appreciative of that that you know they can hopefully stick around and play this game before they before they go away. Which we, I'm appreciative that they'll miss a couple of games over there, kind of sacrifice that international experience to to help us try and win a Chatham Cup. So them three are going to be huge if we can get it done and get them here. And, and Joe's going to be a massive part of it. Keepers have to make big saves to win games, mate. You know that. Ah, oh, absolutely, Hoyley. Unfortunately, it didn't happen for me uh, as regularly as I would have no, wanted. No, no. But, oh, well, you were at the back then. You were, you had a cigar on most of the time, mate. So don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Ivan gets football, enough of that spotlight, mate. <laughs> um, speaking of defenders though Calvin Carlaw, um, how is he going to be deployed in this game because we've kind of seen him on the right hand side of your defence is he going to be used to nullify a particular threat or is he just going to be given the opportunity to play as he normally would 
look, he, I think he'll, I think he'll play on the right hand side of, of us if we if we play the three. You know, if we look at a four, I think he'd be a full back. He's not a centre back in a in a two man defence. But if we play the three, I think he'll be on the right hand side. And he's look, if, if I were an Auckland City forward, I'd be trying to rotate and get to the other side of the field because it's no doubt that Kelv's, you know, with his all white caps and stuff, a top top tier defender in New Zealand. So I'd be trying to stay away from him and definitely come and play on me instead of him. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how he gets on and hopefully he can. Hopefully, he can protect me a little bit and, and help us out. Um, Stephen, before we let you go, I mean, you, you've mentioned Auckland being, you know, a very good side, and of course, they haven't lost the game yet this season. But how? What weird... a time to lose one! Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, that's when the pressure's on, right? I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure back, Ricardo. I love it. I, I, I'm sure you won't be mentioning that in the tunnel as you're about to run out there. But uh, I... but, but... Sorry, go on, go on, go on. I was going to say, where do you think they are vulnerable? Where do you think there is a weakness there that you guys can try and exploit? Look, they're, they're, look, I've got a lot of friends in that team, and and I have I have nothing but respect for the quality of them. They're they're, they're the best team on the continent. Just answer to, you know, the question, Stephen, please. <laughs> I, I am. I'm gonna I, look. I, I think that I think the thing that can get them is they don't get challenged week in week out with the teams that they play against now at the level of the NRFL. So in a one-off game, if you get in the face and you get after them, I manage to kick a few of them. Why can't we ruffle them up and see if we can't find the rhythm and and what we can do? It's it's you know a bit of fighting talk, but it's, it's a lose lose game for them. If they win, their celebration will not be as big as mine. If I win, I'll tell you that for free. So you know I, it's a free hit for Eastern Suburbs. So why not enjoy it as much as we can and and try and try and um, try and do them. Last thing, last thing I'll say to you is I, I I know how much quality they've got. So I hope if they were to beat us, that it's through their quality and not us not being at it and letting them score a sloppy goal or something. I want to come off that field and. If I've lost a Chatham Cup final, I want to say I want to applaud how good they've been. Not, not that we didn't show up. So that will, that's kind of my mindset going into it. I love that a little bit of spice there. The underdogs barking, Ricardo. They definitely. Um, Stephen, thank you very much for coming on and uh, having a chat. Uh, we'll, we'll let you get to bed. No, thank you very much, mate. I'll, uh, I'll catch you guys soon. Thank you very much. Lovely. Yeah, cheers, Oily. Thank you. Stephen Hoyle from Eastern Suburbs here. Of course, the Chatham Cup final next Sunday at uh, North Harbour Stadium. Uh, the Kate Shepherd Cup final is before that as well between Auckland United and Northern Rovers. It's nine away from nine here on SENZ, the world of football. Ricardo Ball, Jacob Spoonley with you. And Ben Bate joins us, the head coach of Northern Rovers. Uh, women's team, they are in the Kate Shepherd Cup final. G'day, Ben. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Uh, it was a tight game for you in the semi-final, wasn't it? It went to Penns against uh, Dunedin. Uh, what, what do you think you and your team, your team learned from that? Yeah, I think uh, Dunedin pushed us really hard. Um, they came out, they were really physical, um, and they, they scored goals at the right time, which I think was the key for them. I think we had them on the ropes, and then they popped up with a good uh, equaliser, and then same thing sort of in the injury time. We scored another good goal, and then, uh, yeah, they managed to grab on just before halftime of injury time, uh, sorry, of extra time, which was a bit of a killer for us. Just took that momentum away from us. And then, uh, yeah, penalties is always a bit of a lottery, and, and luckily we came out on top. So looking forward to the final, Ben, introduce us to your team. Who are some players that we can expect to have a real impact on this game? Well, I think we've, uh, our, our captain, Felicia Green, you know, she's been around uh, the club now for five or six years. Uh, she's uh, still a youngster herself, she's only 21, but uh, playing out of fullback, used to be a winger, but uh, converted as a fullback a couple of years ago. Very aggressive, loves to get forward, loves to tackle, uh, definitely leads by example. 
Uh, we've got a couple of really good younger players as well. So Daniel Cannon plays through the middle, uh, still only 16, 17 years old, but second top scorer this year, uh, really good reader of the game, uh, scored some great goals from midfield. Uh, and then I think two players that we signed this year that have made a huge impact on the team, uh, Michaela Foster uh, as, a, as a central midfielder. She's been a revelation. Uh, I think she scored 12, 14 goals this year. Now I lose track. She scored so many uh, and got 14 assists as well. So she's had a massive influence on the game. Uh, and then Chelsea Elliott at the back uh, has made a huge influence in terms of shoring up our defence and, yeah, just making sure we're not conceding silly goals. <laughs> I think, in a way, it's you know, the, as a coach, it's probably you shredded all your nails and you might have taken up smoking again, Ben, uh, going through extra time <laughs> and penalties. But in a way, it sets you up quite nicely for a final because it's almost a, a bit of a dress rehearsal. I mean, if, if things are tight against Auckland United and you have to do the extra time and you have to do the pens, uh, you've been there, done that. Absolutely, I think you know, in terms of that experience, that was that was you know, gold really. Um, it would have worked out differently if we lost on pens. But, um, yeah, it definitely came through it. And the girls showed great resilience to be able to get through 120 minutes of football and obviously keep the nerve at spot kicks, which, you know, is, is one of the hardest things to do in the sport. What about Auckland United then? What do you know about your opponents and, and, and what are you looking for from them that you have to stop them doing? Well, due to our league and the nature of it, like we've already played them twice already. Uh, we're going to play them again in the Cup. We're going to play them twice again in the National League. So... We know each other relatively well by now. Um, and, yeah, they're a, they're a really effective team. Um, they've got a lot of threats all over the field. They can score goals from pretty much anywhere. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, we're definitely wary of, of their threats. We know they've got pace in, in, in wide areas and, and they look to get behind a lot. Uh, and they're very combative in midfield. So it's going to be a real... A real battle in there, and, and we just need to make sure that we uh, keep it tight, do the right things, and obviously make most of the hurting them on the counter attack when we can as well. Yeah, okay, mate. Well, I'm looking forward to the final. I'm going to be there, of course, uh, next Sunday at uh, North Harbour Stadium. Uh, just quickly, mate, uh, I just had a look at whereabouts uh, in the world you went to university. Um, you, you disappointed <laughs> you got out of Deadpool Town before it all got overtaken? <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, yeah, a couple of my good friends still still working and around the club. So um, yeah, uh, probably missed time that one a little bit. If I'd have stayed on for another ten years, who knows what could have happened? But uh, yeah, pretty incredible to see what's happening back back over in Wrexham, and yeah, just the, the massive change that's happening on there, and it's quite wild to see. Yeah, some of your mates on TV on, on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, indeed, mate, indeed. All right, hey, listen, Ben, thanks very much for coming on. Best of luck in the final as well, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you after that. Yeah, go well, mate. Really appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Cheers, uh, Ben Bate there, the coach of Northern Rovers Football Club, uh, the women's team in the Kate Shepherd Cup final. Great against club, Auckland, Ricardo. You know. Yeah, Great it's Glenfield club. Rovers and Forest Milford combined, right? Exactly, mate. With yeah. a little bit of Jacob Spoonley in there. Uh, with a bit, you can never have too much Jacob Spoonley. <laughs> that's what uh, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Uh, coming up in the next hour, it is more football. We're going to talk Champions League. We're going to talk transfer windows. We're going to talk English Premier League and uh, Jordan Canulis from SENZ, the uh, from SEN, I should say, Australia. The A League commentator is going to join us next to preview the Phoenix versus Macarthur. 
It's just gone nine o'clock here on SENZ World of Football. Ricardo Ball and former white goalkeeper Jacob Spoonley with you. And uh, joining us out of Aussie is Jordan Canellis, who uh, is a commentator for the A-League for SEN over there. And I appreciate him giving us time as he's in the car on his way to go watch Oakley Cannons take on Sydney FC in the uh, quarterfinals of the Australia Cup. G'day, Jordan. How are you? Are you there, Jordan? No? Air Jordan? You there, Jordan? Air Jordan. Air Jordan. Are you there, Jordan? Yes. Yeah, we got him. Yes, I got you. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Uh, have, have you made uh, it to the Oakley Cannons ground yet for your uh, quarterfinal against Sydney FC? Uh, not yet. I'm on the way, though. I'm on route. I'm about, uh, I reckon I'm over the halfway mark, so I'm not far away now. That's good, mate. That's good. I've got Jacob Spoonley with me. Of course, played for the Phoenix, uh, played for the All Whites as well. And uh, we've been looking at the Phoenix lineup for tonight's game against MacArthur. It looks pretty solid, not too much different for, from what happened against Melbourne City. What we are interested in is MacArthur, um, given their interesting choice of a manager for this season, Dwight York. How's he been tracking? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm very curious to see Dwight York uh, and how he goes with with managing MacArthur this season because he doesn't really have a track record. This is one of his his first, or this is his first head coaching job. Or he might have had uh, managerial assistant jobs or youth teams here and there in the past, but nothing that we can really grasp a major hold of uh, as far as his managerial career goes. But I guess he's got MacArthur to this point so far in the uh, in the Australia Cup round of uh, or past the round of 16 into the quarterfinals now. So. I guess it's a good start, but that's all we can really go off so far with Dwight York. All right, enough about Australian football, Jordan. We're going to go back into the Phoenix. <laughs> um, look, we've kind of seen Ufuk Tale maintain a decent foundation. He's got continuity in terms of some key cogs in the Wellington Phoenix machine. They've added to that a full complement of international players now. Uh, they're going to be playing back in Wellington, uh, we hope, for the majority of the season, uh, if not all of the home uh, season, including some home playoff games. What can we expect from this Wellington Phoenix team in the context of the A-League? I think in the A-League season, the continuity is, is massive. There's so much player turnover, uh, just generally speaking, in the A-League from, from season to season. So if you can keep uh, a similar squad, if you can keep a foundation that's always going to be helpful. That's always going to help you uh, in just your your run to finals with team chemistry. You've got the same manager there. He's clearly building a good style. Uh, Ufuktale's got a good um, a good reputation. He's come through a great system as well, being at Sydney FC uh, prior to this. But I think building that that core is is critical, and um, and it's a core with with good young talent. There's a couple of older heads in there as well who are who are that, that's always a pivotal aspect. And then the uh, the, the foreign signings, I think I'm looking forward to seeing some of these guys. We saw a bit of uh, Kryov in the last match two weeks ago, the Bulgarian attacking midfielder who provided a bit um, in those... in those. Looks uh, like a bit of a freight train going forward, doesn't he, Jordan? He is. He's, he's actually taller than what I thought. He's a lot taller than what I thought. He's um, And he can, he can get the ball in the box. He's good in that transition phase and he brings the other players in around him as well. So... Um, I, to be honest, I'm I'm feeling pretty positive about Wellington. I wasn't feeling so positive this time last season about them because I didn't know what this refreshed squad was going to be. There was a lot of turnover, but now that we've seen a bit of the Phoenix from last season, we know a bit of the, the, the quality of those foreign signings, I've got a positive outlook on the Phoenix this season. 
We haven't even talked about, um, I think, one of the best midfielders uh, in the competition moving from Newcastle Jets to the Wellington Phoenix and Steven Ugarkovic. We're not going to see him tonight because he's cup-tied, but he, for me, is one of the more interesting signings. Clearly, um, come to Wellington as a bit of a, a launching pad, only signed a one-year deal, hoping that he'll follow potentially the likes of um, Bacchus uh, and Atkinson and the likes across to either Scotland or Europe. Um, but I see him as being potentially maybe the signing of the season um, when we look back upon the 2022-23 season. Yeah, I agree. I think Steven Ugarkovic, he was a guy that was being spoken about the Socceroos squads at times. Um, last season was probably a bit of a roadblock. Well, um, pardon me, Western Sydney Wanderers uh, a bit of a poison chalice at the moment, it feels like. Anytime a player goes there, their career might stall a little bit. Um, so him going to, to the Wanderers last season might have just put the brakes on his career a little bit. Otherwise, he could have been a bolter for the Socceroos squad for the World Cup. So that just goes to show the quality of the guy and how shrewd the signing is. Having someone like that um, in your midfield, being a, a sturdy, um, deep-lying sort of playmaker slash defensive destroyer in, in midfield, he's probably more on the defensive side of things than a, than a playmaker. Um, but I think, that's, I think that's a really good signing. In a position of the field for Wellington, which has had quality in there, um, but having a, a name like that being the pivot, I think is I think that's a really good move. So I'm I'm curious to see how he goes. I think it'll be a good season for him. I completely wrote off his time at Wanderers, to be perfectly honest. I just went straight back to yeah. Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, well, I, was, I was just going to say. I mean, we're looking forward to having him at the Phoenix, but he probably won't be on pins. It's fair to say after uh, after Eden Park. Um, <laughs> hey, Jordan, I, I get, get your take on this, mate, because. Uh, this is the TAB over here. So this is our local bookmaker, right? Uh, the outright betting on the A-League. Melbourne City are favourites at $4. Melbourne victory four fifty. Sydney FC seven fifty. Wellington Phoenix are last at $36. Uh, that's ridiculous. I think that's pretty ridiculous. I think that's, um, that's, that's actually more ridiculous that it's the New Zealand bookies that are saying that. Yeah. I feel like... I would think, we're proactively uh, tool popping the situation, John. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, look, yeah. Melbourne City, Melbourne Victory. That's going to be that's you know based off last season. They'll be up there. Um, Sydney FC. People love Sydney FC, even if they're not going to have a great season. But Phoenix, I think, should be at least top four. Top six, I'm maybe. thinking. Yeah. What do what yeah. you what are you thinking? I reckon aspirationally, like you want to challenge the likes of Victory and City. I think they're going to be in that conversation. There's a little bit, for me, Jordan, um, they're kind of in this little peloton with Adelaide and potentially, I mean, the the big uncertainty for me is Perth and what they do with Zadkovic taking the team forward. They look to have recruited well, but we're not quite sure what kind of direction they're going to have. And then Newcastle, if Newcastle can get up and away, they're going to not only take points off teams like they did last year, but they could potentially become a bit of a force themselves. So where do you kind of see it playing out at the moment? Um, and what should the Phoenix realistically be aiming for? I think I think making finals is a, is a realistic possibility. I think right now there's a couple of volatile teams in the league uh, at the moment. So Perth, we saw last season, that, that was a volatile season from them. Um, it, I don't know if it's going to be... It, it might be a little more stable this season for Perth, but having a, a, a rookie manager in Ruben Zadkovic um, might just, you know, might be a little slow moving for, for Perth out of the gates. Brisbane are, are always a bit of a volatile team as well, just because Warren Moon likes the, um, the youth a lot. He plays a lot of youth. Um, so will they have the, um, the legs to go the journey? But I think, the, I think Wellington Phoenix have that stability that I spoke about earlier, having that core of the squad. Uh, I think a lot of the players in that team are underrated. Plus, they've managed... Well, not I shouldn't say managed, that's undermining, but they've brought in um, 
good talent. They've brought in Costa Barbarousas. They've brought in those foreign signings that you named, Kriyev and, and Jan Sasse, the Brazilian, among others. So I think I think finals um, is not out of the question at all. I think it's I think that should be a very realistic game for the Phoenix. What about uh, then tonight's opponents? I know Jacob didn't really want to talk about Australian football, but I do have to ask because that that MacArthur team last season, <laughs> I, their their whole recruitment strategy seemed to be let's buy the best player from every other team and put them in our team, um, and it didn't work. Um, it I know, doesn't work, Ricardo. I, no, I it think doesn't. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they've won four nil and six nil <laughs> in the uh, in, in the Australian Cup so far against non A League teams. Have you seen any of them? Uh, what's their recruitment been like? Is it going to be a similar squad? Uh, I think it's going to be a similar squad. There's been a couple of players who have come and gone. I think Daniel Arzani's in this team this season, which is um, it's going to be uh, fun. I think in, in, would be one word to describe him seeing back in the league. Um, uh, there was a few soft spots in their in their team last season. They, they didn't really have a central midfielder all year. They had to convert a couple of players like Tommy Orr, who was a winger, into being a centre mid. Uh, oh, he's just gone down a hole. But there was. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was, there was, um, there was gaps in that team last season. So how does Dwight York address those? I don't have. I'm driving at the moment, so I don't have the, the full transfer list in front of me right now. But, um, but I know that there has been turnover. There's been turnover at the back as well with some of their defenders. The system that they use is it is it different from um, from what we've seen in the Australia Cup so far to when we reached the league? Um, you probably think not. This is a bit of a warm up, isn't it, for the um, for some of the, the coaches and their systems into the A League, but. MacArthur, I, I'm, I'm a bit. It's, it's a very unknown thing to be honest. I, I don't really have any strong convictions either way on MacArthur, just because I don't know what to expect from Dwight York. The turnover from the squad is, is has been slightly heavy, but the players they bring in have a lot of um, have a lot of experience uh, and 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 pedigree. So uh, I think I don't think we're going to see them down the bottom by any means. MacArthur, I still think I still think they'll be uh, a team who. They could finish as high as top four this season, MacArthur. They do have the player who um, has the most punchable face in the league, though, I think, in, in, in Lachlan Rose. Oh, you reckon? <laughs> I like Lockie Rose. Yeah, well, he's just... That's come from nowhere, oh, by the way. He <laughs> <laughs> was just... I was just going through the squad, and I was like, oh, I remember him from last year. He used to... I used to get wound up watching him. Uh, he, he... I mean, if he was, a, if he was in the Phoenix team, you'd probably player. love him, but, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's a crafty player. He's a good sort, though. I, he's, he's dynamic up front. I didn't really expect him to play as a, as a striker at times, but he filled a need, and, and he did that to a uh, to pretty decent effect at times last season when they needed him up front. Yeah. And just pivoting away from club... Punching people in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and, and club um, trans-Tasman rivalry, uh, Jordan. If we can now look at your national team... And I've got to still say, I am, uh, I'm salty, mate, because you guys are on your way to the World Cup in Doha, and I appreciate that in isolation. Wish you all the best. We're not going, though, because for some reason we had a goal taken off us. We couldn't score for the rest of the game against a Costa Rican side that was largely underwhelming. But we do get to play you guys in Brisbane, which is kind of like small New Zealand, mm. and then back in Auckland um, within a couple of days. Farewell games uh, for both teams before you guys go off and do your thing at the World Cup. What do you think that squad is going to look like? Because I imagine there's, it's largely going to be made up of players um, of Socceroos who will go to the World Cup. 
but there'll be a couple of little gambles, I think, with Arnie. He'll want to see a couple of questions answered over the course of those two games. And who's going to be the players that you see that are on the periphery at the moment that could make their way into the squad if they get a decent 180-odd minutes under their belts against New Zealand in September? Uh, I think there's so the, the positions that spring to mind right now would be uh, one of them is striker. There hasn't been a, a solid soccer striker really since Tim Cahill, but the pool of players that we have at strikers at the striker position has remained consistent. So Jamie McLaren, Mitch Duke, Adam Taggart, uh, when he's been fit, and and then we've had a couple of others here and there that have floated in it. Like we had Bruno Fornaroli come in for a game or two when he got his uh, his citizenship. So he's Uruguayan, Jordan. Is, that's no. well, well. He, I saw him wearing the green and gold, so he's Australian as far as we're concerned. We're concerned. Um, yeah, but the pool has been consistent with striker. Um, it's just who is who's going to be the starter is is the main uh, question. Uh, Graham Arnold loves Mitch Duke. Jamie McLaren's been the, the two or three time reigning Golden Boot winner in the A League now. Um, does he bring in someone like Jason Cummings, who is the he's the name on everyone's lips over here? Um, his half season last year with the Mariners when he came in was was scintillating. He knows how to find the back of the net. He's good in the final third. Uh, that's one of the bolters. Um, the other position is um, is at fullback. Uh, so we've got Aziz Vage at left back, who I think is a lock. But right back is still a question. Um, Frank Karacic, who's been based in, in Italy now in the Serie B, and uh, Nathaniel Atkinson, who has gone over to Scotland. They're, they're only fairly new to the system. Um, they both performed reasonably well in those qualifiers against the UAE in Peru a couple of months ago. Uh, but it's still open. So will someone like Lewis Miller, who was at the Mariners last season, he's gone to Scotland now, will he be someone who can be a bolter? Um, he wasn't bad playing for the Ollie Roos a couple of months ago as well. So that's another position that uh, that can be looked at. The rest of the squad, I think, I, I would say 19, 18, 19, 20 players probably pick themselves, but there's a couple of positions for, for some bolters. So there's just a couple of names for you, but... Um, I think most of the positions, it, it, I, I wouldn't think the, the starting 11 anyway deviates too much from uh, from the Peru and UAE match. And there isn't really much time for the A-League players to prove themselves either because they've only got six weeks of the A-League to, to, to play before the World Cup. So those who are in Europe right now have the big advantage because their season is already started. I'll introduce you to a couple of names um, that you might get familiar with over the course of the games. Joe Bell, Marco Stamenich, and Matt Garbett. And I know that's kind of coming in quite hot, but they're going to be the foundation of our team for the next decade. Um, Matt Garbett and Marco Stamenich, they are thoroughbreds, Jordan. They can do pretty much everything. And uh, Marco Stamenich is on the periphery of the uh, Copenhagen squad at the moment. He made his uh, Champions League debut um, uh, in the playoff game. My question, though, is who will they come up against in the green and gold? Because there is a player that is near and dear to our hearts in New Zealand by the name of Cam Devlin. And if Arnie doesn't want to play him, we will have him, I think, is the opinion of most Phoenix uh, fans. There's a couple of players on that fringe, isn't there? There's Devlin. There's also Johnny Stensness as well, who's already uh, been penciled yeah, in no, for the, the, the green yeah, and gold. We can't have that. Or, no, Jordan, come I, on, man. Come on. This is a Kiwi <laughs> I know, show. I, I, I had to fly back. I had to fly back. Um, <laughs> Devlin has been he's he's been performing lights out in in Scotland at the moment. His uh, his game a couple of nights ago um, for Hearts, I think he was if he wasn't man of the match, he was close to. He had another great performance. 
um, interest their most recent game. But his his season last year, uh, his start to this season has been great. So I think I would love to see him play. To be honest, I think he's um, the centre of midfield has been. Uh, that's probably another position I could have spoken about before. Centre of the park. It just it feels like right now it's pretty uh, almost settled with Moy and, and Irvine in there, but. We haven't had a, a good holding midfielder really since Millet Jednak retired. So Cam Devlin is not as big as Jednak, but he's he is. Uh, he's compressed, mate. He's concentrated Jednak. That's what he mate, is. He's, <laughs> a, he's, he's a pocket rocket Jednak. Um, so yeah, I'd I'd, lo- I'd love to see him, and um, I think he would add. I mean, he's got the quality. Clearly, he's got the quality. He was so impressive in his time in the A League, and he's continued that form over in Scotland. So I don't know what the holdup is for Graham Arnold. I've got a question for you. It's, it's uh, Socceroos adjacent. Um, given that there was the uh, Celtic 9, Dundee United 0 uh, recently, is Mark yeah. Bittergitti the new Michael Theocletus? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he might be. He might be. He's, um, well, he didn't. He didn't. He was. He was on. He was on the field for that Champions League 9 0 but he was on the bench, wasn't he, for Dundee the other night against Celtic? So he didn't concede those goals. But um, it hasn't been a. Uh, hasn't been a bright start for him, has it, over in Scotland? And this is a guy who uh, a lot of people were saying, why isn't he the third-choice keeper for the Socceroos uh, over someone like Andrew Redmayne, who, who ends up being our, uh, our qualifying hero? Uh, but Birrigidis, I mean, you guys have seen him. You know what he's like in the A-League. He's been one of the best shot stoppers when he's been here. But, um, but I don't know. How, do you, how would you guys explain it? Going from the A-League to then going overseas and then everything just doesn't feel like it fits in right. That's probably what Mark Birrigitte is feeling like right well, now. Well, Jordan, you've come, you've come to the right place, mate, because um, not only am I a player that went to Europe and it didn't quite happen, I'm also a player that used to wear the gloves. So, yeah, it's a, it's an incredibly competitive environment, and I think Jurgen Klopp explained it the best. He said that football, particularly in Europe, is like a train, and if you're late, you're late, and it leaves without you. And I feel like, um, although I don't want it to happen, that might be happening to Mark Birrigitte at the moment. Um but just coming back to more important things, mate. Um, who, are, who, who, who is the? Uh, who are the players that the Socceroos will have their eye on um, that will provide a threat in the white and black? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, how 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 strong will your squad be? Do you reckon? Uh, from what I understand, we will have a full-strength squad coming back. This is effectively our second leg of our Intercontinental Playoff, Jordan, and the boys have a real emotional tie to this. Um, so they're trying to do everything they possibly can to put themselves in position. We've had a couple of ACL injuries, so the likes of Francis DeFries, um, our uh our second choice left back, um, obviously Alex Roof is out as well. So there are a couple of injuries that are keeping um, some players out, but the majority of players will be there and they are really going to enjoy this. The pre-sales for the game in Eden Park are through the roof at the moment, mate. We're hoping for a sellout at this particular point. Well, Chris would be starting, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I would say so unless he gets injured. It might sound like a low-hanging fruit, but that is going to be... I think that's going to be one test that... Um, and it, that'll depend on our squad as well and how fit some of our defenders are because the one defender that Arnie loves is Harry Sutar, who's the big two-metre-tall centre-back um, playing in England at the moment, and he's recovering from an ACL injury. Um, but he should be back just in the nick of time, I would think, for the World Cup. And, uh, and those warm-up games, or those uh, farewell games, I should say, against New Zealand will be a massive test for him just to get um, back on the international stage, playing against a quality striker like Chris Wood. Um, I think that's going to be one of those uh, one-on-one 
battles on the field that'll actually be quite crucial to Australia's preparations for the World Cup. So that's probably the one I'd be looking closest at. Well, I want to introduce you to our left-hand side, mate, which is Libby Kakache, who is playing Serie A at the moment for Empoli. Yeah. Um, Matt Garbett, who is on the fringes, and he's going to break through in Torino this year. So we're going to have a very Italian-dominated left-hand side. And then Elijah Just has just moved from FC Helsingor into AC Horsen. So he's playing Superliga along with the likes of Joe Bell and Marco Stamenic, mate. So if I can... Give you any tips, mate? It would be just to give your um, right-hand side of defence a bit of a heads-up because they are very dynamic, mate. But I think the most important question that we've got for you, because you're obviously on your way to Oakley Cannons and Sydney FC while we sit here and watch Wellington Phoenix and MacArthur FC, um, is what is the half-time meal going to be, Jordan, this evening for you? The half-time meal is going to be a souvlaki mm. at uh, Oakley. Oakley are a, are a Greek, uh, historically Greek club, so... Um, I was here a few weeks ago and they played uh, Brisbane City, it was, in the round of 16, and I had one. Pretty good. So it's lucky again tonight at halftime. For me. Only pretty good, Jordan. Pretty good, pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm partial to Heidelberg United, who are up uh, in the north of Melbourne, which is the region where I am, and Heidelberg also. Yellow and black, club, mate. Exactly, they do a very good Suvlaki. So I think that ranks number one for me, but Oakley's is a, a close second. Close second. All right, the souvlaki. Uh, uh, you get it all here on the world of football. Uh, halftime meal tips, souvlaki ratings, and uh, we even talk football from time to time. Hey, Jordan, um, really appreciate your time, mate. Uh, go well. Enjoy your game tonight, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon, eh? Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Jacob. Yeah, go well. Gordon Cornelius there from SEN Australia. A-League commentator going to a game just to watch it and have a beer and have a Savlaki. Oh, oh, mate, nothing better. How good. How good it is. 22 past nine. I have the MacArthur team. Oh, go on. Okay, so, uh, but they've done it in numerical order rather than positional, which is annoying. Uh, because we're, about to, uh, we're about to see Ricardo's understanding of A-League teams. At the well, so we'll, we'll Phil- go for it. Give us it. Give us it. Philip Curdo's wearing number 12, and he's halfway, in the, he's halfway down the list, right? So Philip Curdo in goal. Yeah, uh, they've got McGing playing. Uh, Aspropotamus. Uh, Usuk and I'm going to say Toure across the back. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got uh, Daniel De Silva and then Davia will be uh, probably the attacking midfielders. Uh, Vuka and Carter up wide and then Arzani up top maybe with Bacchus in the middle as well. That, I'm picking a 4-3-3 right? from that at yeah. the moment. Yeah, uh, Dwight York did um, employ that, but he has been known to employ a four-four-two as well. So it'll be an interesting one. I reckon what they'll try and do is provide themselves with a bit of a foundation to nullify the Wellington Phoenix. MacArthur aren't as bedded in as Wellington are. They will have seen that they are a bit of a force when they do get their foot on the ball and start to really suffocate teams, and I think they'll try and set up for that. They don't want to give away any cheap goals tonight. No, they don't. They can't afford to against this Phoenix team who are travelling uh, pretty damn well. Uh, and, you know, that's the last thing the Aussies want is uh, the Phoenix in an Australian Cup final. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, it is 23 past nine here on SENZ, the world of football. Ricardo Ball, Jacob Spoonley with you. When we come back, we'll dissect the Champions League team uh, groups. This is SENZ Extra Time. We are in the middle of the world of football with Jacob Spoonley. And uh, Spoons, uh, you're a proud Liverpool fan. You're not quiet about it. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about the draw for the Champions League? Ajax, Napoli, Rangers. Proper European football, Ricardo. A- absolutely. And I mean that in like the most unkind of biased way. And I appreciate you've got your United kit on tonight. But... A, a trip away to Ibrox, a trip to Amsterdam, and then a trip to Napoli. 
what what more can you ask for in terms of um, European nights? Uh, and then you get to have three nights at Anfield where it's rocking, where the fans will be about it. And I think European football this year will probably be the calibration point for this Liverpool team. They're not quite there at the moment. I think they're light in midfield. They're going to need someone to step up and we'll probably be see a bit of a stumble here and there over the course of the Premier League season, but they will get up and someone will get their confidence. They'll get their shoulders uh, broad. They'll say it with their chest in one of these European nights. It's interesting you say that about the midfield for Liverpool because it, uh, obviously they've got James Milner, who's famously been around for a while, mm-hmm. uh, Jordan Henderson and Fabinho. Uh, not a lot of creativity in the midfield when Thiago's not there. Um, now they've got Harvey Elliott and uh, the kid whose name escapes me, they signed from Fulham. So you've got... Carvalho. Yeah, Carvalho. So you've got a couple of young guys who've got promise. You've got old um, Darren Sicknote Anderton's um, love child and um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who's never fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the players I mentioned, plus Naby Keita, who seems to have fallen out with Klopp. Um, he's gone in a year's time and, and isn't uh, been offered a new deal. Um, how worried are you if Liverpool don't sign another midfielder between now and the, start of, uh, the end of the window? By and large, I buy into the recruitment process that Liverpool have got. They've got, um, they've had some wonderful um, recruitment specialists in the likes of Edwards. I can't remember the guy's name that they've got in now who's replaced him. Um, and they have basically hit with a number of their big investment signings. What every Liverpool fan seems to know and is the worst kept secret in the world is that they are after Jude Bellingham at the moment. And he would be the kind of solution to this problem at the moment. And it wouldn't be that he'd provide a creative outlet. It would be more that their midfield would be their dynamic part and they would be able to overwhelm teams, which would make things a lot easier for their front three to deal with. And they would be able to do that by themselves. So I... I'm looking at it and there needs to be a bit of a band-aid between now and the end of the season and they do need to bring in some sort of creative alternative to Thiago. Um, I'm not sure if Ben's trying to phase me out here at the moment or if he's just um, giving me a little bit of background music. But it is one of those situations where it's got to be in Klopp that we trust. Here's something. Here's an idea. And I, I, don't I felt know like if, I was at the Oscars there for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. Here's an idea for you. And I don't know if, if, if it's on Klopp's radar or even if it's a good idea. But, you, you know, we mentioned Thiago's had his injury problems. The fact that, say if you play Fabinho and one of Henderson or Milner um, as, you know, a solid, almost like a dual pivot six, given how how deep he tends to drop anyway, and the fact you've signed Darwin Nunez, is turning Robert Firmino into that player an option? Well, what they were doing last year is that they kind of started off on paper um, on a 4-3-3, but in position in particular, they changed to a 4-3-3. So what they were doing is that they were playing their wingers higher in advanced positions to really attack the space centrally from out wide. And then what they were doing is dropping Firmino into more of an attacking um, midfield role. And so to your point, I actually think he suits that, particularly with the likes of um, uh, Luis Diaz and Salah. The problem is, though, that you've got the, the evolution. You've got Darwin there and he's a he's a now now number nine. He's, I like what you did there. The yeah, thank you. Mate. Uh, nice. I'm all about it. They're two degrees, to Ricardo. Um, so you have to play a, a number nine, and if that's the system that you want to play with the wingers attacking in behind, then you've got a real question of what you do with Darwin. So um, I think Klopp set out his stall. He said that I'm going to go with a a number nine. So the alternate um, formation is going to be a four two three one, not a to the four three three rather. So uh, I. 
I look at it and Firmino's role, it becomes quite awkward because the team has to then adjust between having an out-and-out number nine, which means you can push your wingers out wide, or Firmino comes in, he wants to make the midfield more compressed. He wants to be able to play in those tight spaces, which means that people need to get around him. So changing between those two extremes is going to become quite difficult for Liverpool at this point in time, or at least the answer's not quite clear. Um, it's something I was I was listening to a, uh, a podcast out of the UK, and they were talking about the groups going through the groups, and something that I didn't remember, but they brought up that Napoli have actually got a really good record against Liverpool yeah. in recent times in the Champions League. So, I mean... Is is number one is finishing top of this group um, something you're worried about, or do you, do you think Napoli have got enough to unseat Liverpool from winning this group? I think you just want to make the top two, to be perfectly honest. And I think Liverpool that that, that task is very doable if you look at it. Um, Ajax are a beatable side. They are at some phase in their cycle where they're looking to build a team up and then sell it. And I think they've been selling for the last couple of. Um, as you just see the Phoenix at the post there, Ricardo. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that they have been selling. So I, I don't imagine they're going to be at their best. Rangers, as much as I love the man, um, Gordon Glenn Watson seem to you know be very excited about things. I think they're just happy to be there. So you can pick up six points from both of those teams. You put yourself right in the shop window. And then it's just basically going to come down to a bit of a, um, a race with Napoli for that top spot. So not too worried about that, mate. But if you look across the other groups, Ricardo, Good Lord, there are some wonderful groups. There are also some very, very average groups. Yeah, speaking of average groups, Atletico Madrid, Porto, Leverkusen and Club Brugge. Uh, now, Club Brugge have lost their number one striker from last season, AC Milan. Leverkusen have started one and three in the Bundesliga, so they're just uh, just outside of the relegation spots. Porto, who knows what you're going to get. They're, they're the uh, uh, the proverbial box of chocolates, and Atletico Madrid haven't started particularly well either, so this could be a, quite an ugly group. There are two groups that have been described as Europa League groups, and I think this is one of those, mate. Yeah, I, I don't know who you're going to get out of that. I mean, you'd like to think that Atletico Madrid would float to the top, but I'm not quite sure. There's a lot of banana skins in that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, group C, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Victoria Pleasant. Um, I like you know, if you're the Victoria Pleasant president and that draw happens, you're just like, oh, okay, we'll take the money. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just smile, just smile and wave, boys. That's all yeah. we can do. Yeah, uh, Barcelona. There, there are also teams that seem to gravitate towards each other in the Champions League, and I think we've seen Barcelona and Bayern Munich play each other in the knockout stages, but this time they get paired, and they get to create a wonderful. Um, a couple of European nights where you go to the New Camp and you go to the um, Allianz Stadium. Allianz Stadium. So it is another one of those European royalty type moments where you've got three that needs to go into two with Inter Milan being added to that group. Not quite sure how this one's going to shape out. I, I'm, I'm not. My gut is Barcelona used to be the people's club. It's now just turned into a club that doesn't pay tax like other clubs in Spain. Mm. The moral kind of impetus to support them has definitely dissipated so I'd quite like to see an upset here and I'd like to see Bayern Munich push on through although they are kind of the juggernaut in the in the Bundesliga and then maybe Inter just create a little bit of an upset. Yeah it'd be interesting to see in these games because Bayern have been cruising it really in the uh, in the Bundesliga. How, 11? 11 Bundesligas on the trot or something like yeah, that? Yeah and I mean this season I mean they, they draw on the weekend with Gladbach but Jan Sommer set a record for the number of saves in the game. He made 19 saves. In that Let's one talk about goalkeeping, Ricardo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, But what I was going to say is they haven't really been tested in, in uh, the Bundesliga yet. yet. With Barca and Inter, it'll be interesting to see how they cope without Lewandowski. Absolutely. And 
Nagelsmann, I think this is now his team. So there's a little bit of added pressure when it comes to that. Like he's no longer transitioning into the role. He's no longer waiting for his signings to come in. He's been given the checkbook. He's signed a couple of his boys from Leipzig and he's delivered initially. But once you get that league under your belt, it's now what you can do in the Champions League because that's the rarefied air that he's operating in. So he'll be under a little bit of pressure in these condensed fixtures uh, in the Champions League and they will want to if not have to make it out of the group um, now Group D Tottenham Frankfurt um, last year's Europa League winners who have lost a few players Sporting Lisbon and Marseille who are like the poor man's PSG the way they're recruiting with people <laughs> like Guendouzi and Sanchez you're not going to make any friends in the south of France this evening Ricardo that's for sure <laughs> no again this is one of those groups where it's it's quite level it's, it's very competitive it might come up with um, the odd result that'll raise an eyebrow but uh, Conte again I think if he gets out of this and gets into the top two he'll have ticked a major KPI for himself this season yeah uh, Conte has a terrible record in the Champions League. Did you know this? He has had, I, th- I was uh, looking at the stats the other day, when he was at Inter, he only made it out of the group stages once. Uh, I think his, it's like he'd played 44 games in uh, in Champions League and he only won 12. Wow. Yeah. That is horrible. Yeah. it's And a lot of it's put down to apparently he is very, very uh, detail-orientated. So once you get into the Champions League, and you're playing a league game on the weekend and a Champions League game in the week, he gets doesn't lost. have time. He gets lost. Yeah. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he copes in what is a pretty winnable group, you'd think, for Spurs. Um, we'll get on to the other four groups after this. It is 22 away from 10. It's 18 away from 10 here on SENZ, the world of football. Jacob Spoonley on the decks, uh, playing all the music tonight. Um, Jacob, we're halfway through uh, the Champions League groups. Uh, group E, Chelsea. RB Salzburg, Dinamo Zagreb, and AC Milan. I'm going to put in there my ability to control the music that's introed in after the ad breaks because this is getting quite ridiculous. I think, Ben, are you are you looking for something? Are you, are you trying to find a particular track? No, he's just he's just shook in his head. So, um, sorry, repeat that for me, Ricardo. Uh, yeah, so Chelsea, RB Salzburg, Dinamo Zagreb, and AC Milan. Uh, that is Group E. Luckily for Chelsea, no Southampton in this group. <laughs> I actually think after after Scott Parker, it's got to be said, which was a bizarre. He must have done something, Mate, he um, did something to react. You know, like he's he's got to have done something to undermine the authority of the the board or the management, or he's got to. Have you know, insulted the players effectively because you can't fire him after that. Anyway, that's a, a footnote, Ricardo. But um, yeah, you're right. I think Thomas Tuchel is under the pressure here. Mm-hmm. I think he's absolutely under the pump. You've got new ownership at Chelsea. They've got a bit of a project in mind. I don't know if he fits that profile of the project. He's starting to whinge, which he often does when he's under pressure. So I think he's definitely on the hot seat and he'll need to come up with the goods in the Champions League this yeah. year. Salzburg have got a lot of goals. They've managed to hold on to Christopher and Cuckoo. Yes. Um, uh, who's a great player. Um, Milan will give them problems as well. Can you see uh, a world in where Chelsea are playing Europa League um, after the group stage? If Tuchel's under pressure and is not getting what he what he wants out of the team and the team starts to look the, in, in another direction, then yeah, absolutely. Mm. It'll be interesting. Group F, Real Madrid, RB Leipzig, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk and Celtic. So, I mean, this is Real all day. It's who's going to finish second, right? 
Yeah, so I think um, yeah, you're looking at a very clear fourth place finish. The question for me is, what can Ange Postacoglu do with this in this particular group? And yes, there are Real Madrid and they're the defending champions, but this is Ange. He just doesn't care, mate. He is like Yoda at the moment. He's he's like a, a philosophical leader of the boys in the green and the white and the hoops, and. He doesn't seem to be doing anything wrong at the moment, and more to the point, he seems to be just elevating everything he touches. It'll be interesting. I mean, Real Madrid didn't have a great group stage last. Remember, they lost to Sheriff Tiraspol um, last season at at home. Um, so the, the group stage isn't always the best. But Shakhtar Donetsk, they've lost all their Brazilians, obviously because of the Russian invasion. Um, so they're an all-Ukrainian side now. And Leipzig have been leaky goals again in Germany and not scoring many, even though they've got Timo Werner. They've got no right back. They've got three centre backs and they've got about five strikers. It's an unbalanced squad. So that that second place in that group is anyone's. Uh, and I think Ange could definitely put his hand up for that, mate. I wouldn't be surprised if Celta qualify out of this particular group. It will be a hard ask of them, but mm. I wouldn't be surprised either. Uh, group G, I know this is one that you wanted to spend a bit of time on. Manchester City, yes. Sevilla, Borussia Dortmund and FC Copenhagen. So what do we got there? We got Kevin De Bruyne, mm-hmm. Ivan Rakitic, mm-hmm. and Jude Bellingham. Yes. And I say those particular names because we have Marco Stamenich in the Champions League, folks. That is for me that is probably up there with any sort of achievement from an individual athlete over the course of this year um from New Zealand. So um yeah, a wonderful a wonderful um thing that he made his Champions League debut in the playoff game against Traps and Spore, I think is how you say it. So we're looking for him to go up against the likes of those athletes that are at the absolute peak of their game. Kevin De Bruyne have been pulling the strings in the Premier League, so we hope Marco gets his chance either at the Etihad or back in Copenhagen. Yeah, indeed. It's a, it's a fantastic group. It's a tough group, but fantastic group. Uh, this one plays into that as well a little bit. Paris Saint-Germain, Juventus, Benfica and Maccabi Haifa. Um, now, Benfica... I reckon are a smoky in this group just because of the way Juventus have been travelling recently. There's also a massive Portuguese population in Paris, so when they go and play PSG, it'll almost be like a home game. Um, how do you think this this is going to play out? Is it just going to be as easy as uh, PSG are going to win it and it's between Juve and Benfica for second? Well, let's pull on that thread for a moment because we've, we've seen um, players come through this Portuguese football factory that they've got with Sporting Lisbon, FC Porto and Benfica seemingly being able to pull players off the shelf, put them in, they plug and play and they produce almost immediately. So Darwin Nunez left uh, Benfica for Liverpool. You'd expect them to really struggle without their talisman, but because it is Benfica, because it is this Portugal um, football industry that they've got going on, I'm looking for the next cab off the rank to really fill his shoes and to give us that kind of surprise that we seem to always expect but always continues to surprise us um, in either Porto, Sporting Lisbon or Benfica. I think it will come in this particular group. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So that is your Champions League groups, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We have got three minutes left of this show. When we come back, Jacob's going to give us an update on the Phoenix versus MacArthur, and we're going to talk a bit more about Scott Parker being the first Premier League manager to lose his job. This is SENZ, the world of football. Ricardo Paul, Jacob Spoonley with you. Uh, Spoons, you're on the uh, PC there. You've got the, oh, I was going to say the laptop, actually, not the PC. Uh, and you've got the game streaming. Uh, what's the score, Phoenix MacArthur? 21 minutes in, and it is nil all in the west of Sydney, rather. Uh, the Phoenix are looking pretty strong, mate, to be perfectly honest. They're starting to really take control of the game, particularly in midfield, but 
Anzani and Davia are causing all sorts of problems. Ben Wayne has already hit the post and the Phoenix have had to scramble one off the goal line. So this one does promise games, uh, goals rather, Ricardo. And I think you'll probably see more than one score tonight. Yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Looking forward to um, keeping getting that up on the big screen and having a look. Now, tomorrow morning, uh, we have a bunch of games in the Premier League, starting with Bournemouth versus Wolves. Uh, Gary O'Neill in charge of Bournemouth. Of course, Scott Parker is gone. But Wolves are struggling to score. I don't see them getting nine. <laughs> no, but I think Bournemouth are going to have to be, you know, they're going to be on their toes, mate. They're up against it now. Not only have they just been promoted to the Premier League, but they're without the gaffer that got them there. And it seems like there's a little bit of turmoil behind the scenes as well. Yeah, it does. Uh, Bournemouth are paying three thirty. The draw three twenty. Wolves are paying two dollars twenty five. Uh, Arsenal take on Aston Villa. Stevie G's Villa. Stevie G's struggling a wee bit, isn't he? He probably needs he needs a win, and I don't know that he's going to get it at Arsenal. I don't think he wants to see Mikel Arteta rolling into town, does he? No. It's, uh, no, Arsenal seem to be a team much on the fly at the moment. I'm sure they'll hit a bit of a speed bump at some point, but they are definitely the more evolved version of what they were last year, and I think they're probably going to be aiming for the top four. Yeah, I think so. Uh, West Ham against Spurs. West Ham haven't had a great start either, but this is always a tasty occasion, and it's at the London Stadium. It is, it is. I've got to be honest, Ricardo, I um, completely switched off for that because uh, <laughs> MacArthur just missed a chance. So oh. if we can go back through that. So West Ham against? Spurs. Spurs. Always tasty, even though West Ham haven't had a great start to the season. This, no. This will always th- this, throw up controversy. This 90 minutes could be the catalyst to get this season underway, and Conte will be guarding against that probability. So, um, yeah, a great London derby um, on offering to get us through the week. And uh, we also have Liverpool versus Newcastle. We don't also have. We have Liverpool versus Newcastle. Now, I'm interested in the market here. Liverpool $1.25, Newcastle 10 bucks. The draw five fifty. Whereabouts uh, are we, Ricardo? We're it's at Anfield? A, it's at Anfield. Uh, mate, tough ask. I think Liverpool have, you know, they've got a little bit of confidence rolling off that 9-0 result. They'll be looking to back things up, um, which is exactly what we want them to do. Go on, Ben. <laughs> Um, I don't see this being a particularly easy ride for Eddie Howe and Chris Wood, although we do want to see the Woodsman up top for Newcastle. Um, This is definitely the one where I think Liverpool will want to make sure that they confirm their season is underway. Yep, so there you go, Jacob Swindling saying the draw at 5.50, that's where the the value is. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, Jacob, thanks very much for coming in, mate. It's uh, been a pleasure having you in studio for a couple of hours talking football. I love it, mate. It is always a pleasure coming in. And um, look, we've got so much football on the cards um, from everything from All Whites uh, to Ferns to Premier League to the A-League kicking off. It's just gone 10 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. Anson Wainwright from Ring Magazine is going to join us a bit later to talk about Joe Joyce, Joe Parker and uh, being an interim champion. That is now on the cards. That is what is on the table for Joe Parker. Uh, we'll get his take on that. That news is just breaking today. But right now, Jared Cronin joins us out of Australia and we're going to talk NFL. Jared, it feels like forever since we last talked NFL, uh, so short of the seasons, but... Uh, we did it last season. We went through every week and uh, reviewed all the games. And you're coming on tonight to give us a bit of a preview of what you think is going to happen um, right throughout the AFC and the NFC. Yeah, very good evening to you, Ricardo. I tell you what, it has been a, a very much a winter of discontent for a lot of Kiwi football fans. So I can't help but feel that the NFL is just coming at the right time 
to save us from our misery. So I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> uh, good stuff, mate. Well, let's let's start with the um, the AFC, uh, and we'll, and we'll start at the top. We'll start with the AFC East. Um, it's a it's a league that um, has or a conference, I should say, that has often been very one sided with the Patriots over the years dominating, but. Things have changed. There's no Tom Brady anymore. The Buffalo Bills probably the dominant side here, although we saw signs last year that the Miami Dolphins uh, could be that team. And then we have a preseason where the team that you know we often refer to as the Jest, uh, the New York Jets, are 3-0. and So, I mean, have they found a magic solution to their woes? Uh, as much as I like to think they have, because they have done basically everything right, the Jets, over the offseason, they had an absolutely stellar draft. They picked a lot of gun players. They had a bunch of picks at the top of the draft, and they just really cashed in on all of them. They brought in some real offensive firepower uh, with Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver. Um, also, they added um, Brees Hall, the uh, the gun running back. And they just every pick that they had, they seemed to just pretty much nail the best player available. So they've infused their team with a lot of young talent uh, to go around last year's early quarterback pick, Zach Wilson, who's picked up a bit of an injury uh, during the preseason. So that's probably the, the biggest black mark on their preseason so far. Uh, but I guess they're, they're putting a lot of pieces around Zach Wilson to really try and make this a successful year and a successful era. They want to kickstart something because it has been a long, long slog of poor results. Uh, and now uh, Robert Sala and his, his coaching crew, they want to turn this around. They want to get the Jets flying once again. What about the Buffalo Bills? They were the team to beat in this conference last season. What have you seen from them in the offseason? It seems as though the Buffalo Bills are everybody's favourite this year. Uh, from what I've been reading and what I've been hearing, everyone's picking them to be not just the top team in the AFC, they're actually picking them to go all the way and take the Super Bowl, which, based on their talent and and you know what they've been doing over the past couple of seasons, that seems like they are ascending to that point. Uh, everyone's calling out, you know, Josh Allen to really kick on and become an MVP and, and leaders team to glory. The thing that I really question about the Bills is that, well, they're the Bills. Uh, they they have the uh, the mental battle and the big moments when it comes to the crunch. They were unlucky last year in the overtime thriller. It was a magnificent playoff game where they were beaten by the Chiefs. Uh, but they've actually caused a bit of a stir from that game. They've brought about a change in the rules for the NFL playoff overtime. So basically, the previous setup was if a team goes ahead and scores a touchdown, that's the end of the game. Uh, whereas the rule now in the playoffs will be a team will be allowed to score uh, and the next team will also get a possession. So if they can draw even, then you know it's game on from there. Um, so the, the Bills have made a, a big change in that regard. But um, yeah, is this the year? It's it's a huge, huge question. Uh, and then they are very excited over in Buffalo. But, you know, they are always excited in Buffalo. They've got some great fans. Yeah, they do, mate. They do. Uh, the the Dolphins, um, the Pats, uh, I, I mean, the Dolphins can only get better from last season despite their owner, surely. Well, that's right, yeah. It, the old saying, it starts at the top. Uh, and yeah, the uh, the owner, Stephen Ross, didn't really do any favours for the Dolphins. In fact, it's actually cost them a, uh, a first-round draft pick uh, in next year's draft. So uh, it's always great when your owner goes around and does silly things to uh, to hamper your team and what they can do you know, on the field. Uh, but they have brought in some serious firepower. Uh, they've brought in a new head coach, Mike McDaniel, who is the former uh, running back coach over at the 49ers. So probably not a lot of mystery as to what type of game and, and especially offense they're going to try and you know put out there. They've brought in a lot, a lot of speed, haven't they? 
Oh, they have indeed. Yeah, they've brought in some real guns. Tyreek Hill, uh, wide receiver. They've also brought in a lot of reinforcements. Uh, uh, Teron Armstead, the um, the gun tackle, um, and as well as a few running backs as well, Raheem Mostert and a couple of other guys. So they're going to be just looking to just probably hammer teams like a 49ers style and just hammer teams, hammer teams, hammer teams, and then hope that they can get enough out of Tua Tungvaluwa, uh, the quarterback, who they, they're not exactly sure what they've gotten him. So they want to find out. They want to give him the best chance to succeed. And from what I can see, they've done everything so far to really do that for this season. And Bill Belichick, is he just going to be the grumpy old man on the on, on the block <laughs> wondering, where, uh, wondering where his quarterback's gone? Oh, Bill, he's up to his old tricks. Uh, I was disappointed not to see his dog at the uh, sitting at the, the laptop at the, uh, the NFL draft this season. But um, no, he is up to his old tricks, old Bill. He's decided that he's not actually going to name an official uh, uh, offensive coordinator. He's got Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, a couple of guys in there doing uh, bits and pieces, but there's no one clearly making the calls. So I don't know if he's just foxing for now um, and just maybe working his way into the season. It has been a bit of a quiet offseason uh, in New England compared to last year where they made a bit of a splash in free agency and whatnot and the draft. Uh, but yeah, this year has been a, a lot more circumspect uh, but, you know, that's that's when Bill and his boys, that can be at their most dangerous. Yeah, oh, Matt Patricia, uh, one of the Detroit Lions, the greatest. Um, we should talk <laughs> uh, AFC North then, mate. Uh, the Ravens um, look to be the favourites here. The Steelers are always tough, but they feel like they're in the middle of a bit of a reinvention. Uh, and then you've got the Browns, who just often are a dumpster fire, and the Cincinnati Bengals, who, who went better than we thought, I think, last season. Oh, yeah, the, the Bengals definitely were the uh, Cinderella story of the NFL last year. And really they, they came within probably uh, one or two plays of actually taking the entire um, championship there. Uh, so that, yeah, they really came on strong. It'll be interesting to see how they can back that up. There's always every season, typically a, a massive slump from the, the Super Bowl loser. Um, so that's going to be a, a big challenge for them to take on. However, uh, they have got a lot of attitude and they have got a lot of youth on their side. So this is a team that is really confident in what they can do. And they want to build on it. Joe Burrow wants to lead these boys. They've got a lot of the same pieces as what they had last year on their Super Bowl run. But they've also added some key ingredients. They've beefed up the O-line. They've gone on free agency and decided, all right, we've had a few problems with our offensive line protecting Joe. So they've brought in a few guns, added them on to the team. So really, they've, they've gotten stronger from what they were last year, which is pretty scary. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they can go. Um, the, the Steelers, you mentioned, um, they've got... A, well, they've got Mitch Trubisky lined up to be the quarterback to begin the season. Uh, they've, they've also got Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, who was a first-round um, pick this year in the draft as well. So this, it's going to be a bit of a – there's been a lot of talk about who is going to be taking the reins. Uh, for now, it is Mitch Trubisky. They're going to try and, I guess, transition into a post-Big Ben era, which is a, it's a, big, a, a big transition for a team like that from a guy that they had in there for, you know, 17 years or so. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they can bring in. But yeah, the Ravens as well, they're, they're, they're just the Ravens. They will always, they'll be a tough team. They've drafted well, uh, and they've got a guy named Lamar Jackson. He's he's pretty good. Like He can pull out some amazing stuff. Struggled with injuries towards the end of last year, which really hampered their problems. Uh, but I, I think they could be definitely in the mix there in the AFC. And as you mentioned, the Browns, well, they're back to being in a complete circus once again. They showed a few signs there uh, over the past couple of years of, of building and improving and and becoming a team, you know, close to competing. Uh, and, yeah, so far this year, it's just been an absolute disaster with Deshaun Watson being signed and suspended. And, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a 
I think it may be a long season there in Cleveland, but, you know, they're used to it. Yeah, all right. Uh, AFC South, last season, AFC South did a great impersonation of the NFC East, um, a whole <laughs> bunch of rubbish teams. Um, has that changed? Uh, well, not really. Uh, the, the Colts have made a big addition. They shipped out uh, Carson Wentz from quarterback and brought in uh, Matt Ryan from the Falcons, who is a, you know, he's, He's an experienced campaigner. He knows what he's doing. Um, he's, he's not going to be a flashy type of guy. So he can work well in their system. And that's what they're hoping for. He can, you know, feed the ball to the running back. Uh, they've got uh, Jonathan Taylor, who was a gun, played a, a fantastic season last year. But they're just looking to get enough out of him and, and the defense, which is always strong as well, um, from Indianapolis. So uh, they will be looking to, you know, to, to push ahead of the Titans, who were, uh, they're actually the number one um, seed going into last year's um, playoffs. So, uh, the Titans have just slipped a little bit. Maybe they, um, yeah, maybe they're going under the radar a little bit. They haven't done many splashy plays in the off season. They lost AJ Brown, their best wide receiver, and that was a little bit of an interesting move. I'm not sure how they're going to progress with that, but um, but then you start getting into the next teams with the the Jaguars and uh, the Houston Texans. So Houston Texans are looking to probably be. I think they'll be pretty close to getting one of the top picks in the draft next year, perhaps based on talent. They've got Lovey Smith as their head coach, so they'll show a bit of fight. Uh, but then, you, you know, you've also got the, the Jacksonville Jaguars who have, on the uh, the flip side, they've gotten rid of a, uh, a horrendous coach last year <laughs> and brought in a bit of a steadying influence, Doug Peterson, hoping to see some progression from Trevor Lawrence and this young uh, this young offense that they've done a bit of an overhaul on this this season, actually for the past few seasons, to be fair, having a look at the previous draft picks that the Jaguars have, you know, shipped out, traded away, released or whatnot is astounding. They are just chewing through talent uh, at, a, at a rate of not. So they'll be looking to stem that sort of bleeding, if you will. And um, yeah, interesting year ahead coming up for the, the Jags. Yeah, 0-4 uh, in preseason. Not that you can bank too much <laughs> on that, I suppose. But uh, we should go to AFC West and, and wrap the AFC. And probably not a whole bunch to, to talk about here, other than obviously the Las Vegas Raiders are going to run away with it. Well, that's right. I mean, you may be uh, slightly one-eyed on that uh, on that call, but uh, but I like it. I like that the, uh, the Raiders are being bold this year. They've obviously um, brought in some, uh, you know, very important wide receiver help there with uh, Devontae Adams, which is a, a big get. Um, but, you know, they, they've also got a, a lot of firepower to contend with across the AFC West. I think this could be could be the most exciting conference, and uh, sorry, conference uh, division in all of football. Uh, between them, uh, the Chiefs, the Chargers, and also the Broncos, who picked up a, a fairly handy quarterback named Russell Wilson. Uh, this could well be a, a real showstopper of a, a division. So, uh, I like what your Raiders are doing. They're just they're just quietly building away there. They've brought in Josh McDaniels, who, well, hopefully he's going to stick around as a head coach for a little bit longer this time. Um, so, yeah, that, I think they're building something special in Vegas. But, you know, you, you've always got to come up against big guys. You know, Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs, uh, and also uh, a guy called Justin Herbert uh, for the Chargers. So there's, there is just some names in this AFC West, and I am really excited. I hope they get a lot of uh, primetime games. I'm sure they will uh, across that division. Uh, who's your pick then out of the AFC? Who do you think at this stage is going to come out of the AFC to go to the Super Bowl? I'm actually going to uh, I'm going to go with the Chiefs to come from the AFC. Um, and the sole reason being is that I feel like this year they might be a little bit more hungry and a little bit more focused. They've got a ton of talent. We've known that for the past few seasons. 
But I felt as though the, the past couple of years, they were almost they were almost probably too good for their own good, if you will. Uh, a lot of games, they would cruise and, and sort of just, um, yeah, just sort of not really put the foot down. I feel as though now that they've been knocked off their perch, they were embarrassed at home in the playoffs. Uh, the first time I'd seen Patrick Mahomes melt in a big playoff game. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like they could be hungry and, and a bit more focused this year to, to say, hey, we're not the top team anymore. The, all the expectations are sitting on the bills. So we can go ahead and just just give it everything. So I reckon the Chiefs could be uh, could be looking good to bounce back and get back into the bowl game. There you go. It is uh, 14 past 10 here on SENZ Extra Time. Jared Cronin with us talking NFL. When we come back, we're going to go through the NFC conference and have a look at... Uh, who might be the movers and shakers this coming season. It's 18 past 10 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you, Jura Cronin, joining us out of Australia, and we are looking at the NFL ahead of this coming season, about 10 days away. We've done the AFC, time to do the NFC, and as uh, my good friend Michael Carlson refers to it, the NFC least. Uh, we have seen improvement, though, in this division in uh, recent times. Uh, there used to be a very famous uh, soap opera, Gerard, called uh, Dallas out of uh, the, the States. Um, I, and I think uh, it's back. They just call it Dallas Cowboys now because, man, uh, I mean, if they could sort out what's going on behind the scenes, they've got all the talent in the world. They just can't seem to put it together. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they have had a, a few seasons of a lot of promise uh, and maybe just a few key injuries here and there uh, derailing proceedings. And to be fair, they're actually going to have to overcome quite a bit this season as well, uh, particularly on the offensive line. They've had some real big talent uh, go by the wayside this season. Uh, Tyron Smith, the uh, the Pro Bowl left tackle, who was uh, the most recent uh, addition to that uh, that list. Uh, so yeah, Dak Prescott uh, and and Zeke uh, Elliott are going to have a lot of uh, a lot of problems, I think, trying to get the ball moving. They did play well on the defensive side of the ball last year. Of course, led by um, some some fantastic talent, Micah Parsons, uh, and also uh, the the gun quarterback, uh, sorry, cornerback, um, who was was picking off everything all season. So I, I think the uh, the Cowboys are going to be they'll have their work cut out for them. Still plenty of talent, sure, uh, but they have uh, they've had a few subtractions on that O line, as I mentioned. Uh, Amari Cooper as well is as uh, as gone and taken off over to uh, to Cleveland this year. So um, so a couple of losses there, uh, but. As you say, that NFC lease is very questionable um, at best. Uh, the Eagles have made a couple of nice little moves over the offseason. Of course, I mentioned before that they've brought in a big body wide receiver, A.J. Brown, to try and just kickstart things uh, with Jalen Hurts, the young quarterback, uh, and uh, and his offense. But uh, that, he remains a question in himself because the stats that he's been shown up uh, in terms of how many times he's thrown the ball in the pocket uh, is not looking a hell of a great. So uh, so th- that's a bit of a work on there for Jalen Hurts to win a bit of credibility in terms of being a passing quarterback, not just a, a guy who can run around and, and make certain plays. Uh, but then after the Cowboys and Eagles, who, oh boy, it's a bit of a fall off, uh, you've got the uh, <laughs> the newly minted Washington Commanders. Good to see the uh, the Washington football team have now got themselves a, a moniker once again. Oh, uh, so... I just think if you're based in Washington, which is the United States political capital, you think harder about your nickname than something that can be shortened to the commies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, the damn commies are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also you could uh, you could flippantly call them the commandos as well, which I'm not sure how that will go. But um, they've uh, they've added a few nice pieces in the draft. I got to say the Washington Commanders, uh, albeit that uh, they had a lot of preseason hype 
on the rookie running back, uh, Brian Robinson. And uh, unfortunately, he, he hasn't shot himself in the foot, but uh, someone else shot him in the leg. So uh, it was a, uh, an attempted carjacking. So he's actually had to have surgery this week to try and uh, rectify that. They reckon it's not a, a, a too important sort of issue for him, um, but he will look to fill in a, a, an important role coming up as the season wears on in that offense. Uh, Ron Rivera, a very old school sort of coach who likes to, yeah, he likes to, to run the ball and play good defense. Uh, but uh, he's also got uh, Carson Wentz, the new quarterback who's come across from the Colts, who uh, they weren't too happy with him. So, uh, so he's definitely got a, a big challenge on his hands this year in Washington. And then you've got the Giants. Oh boy. Uh, you've got Daniel Jones, the quarterback, who somehow has managed to uh, retain the uh, starting job uh, in spite of everything. But really, this is the last chance saloon, I think, for him and uh, his tenure at the Giants. Uh, I would tend to think that uh, they could be looking odds on, depending how things go. Uh, they could well be looking at being the uh, the top draft pick next season. But uh, that, that's that's a way, way off for me to call that. But uh, I, I don't have a lot of faith in him. He's got some good pieces around him, sure. Uh, and, and change is always good with the new coaching staff coming in. But yeah, Daniel Jones and the Giants, they could be well... Uh, bring up the rear of the field. Okay, let's uh, look at the NFC North, um, a division that, as Graham Soonis would call it, is proper men playing proper football. Uh, <laughs> it always feels like, um, you know, it, I, I always think about the NFC North and just think of TV pictures of playing in the snow in the 1970s. It's kind of what it, you know, just uh, rings for me. With teams like the Bears, the Packers, the Lions and the Vikings, these are always tough games, tough teams. Oh, very much so. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's like one of those winters where uh, you know the weather can beat you, let alone the uh, the opposition football team. So when teams go and play at Lambeau Field against the Packers, uh, also against the Bears outside those outside games, and man, you can see the teams just you know almost freeze up, like literally as they go against them. But uh, a lot for the Green Bay Packers this year. They were the top seed in the playoffs last year, and of course blew it all at home, despite home advantage. Uh, and one Aaron Rodgers didn't take too kindly to that, nor has he taken too kindly to his favorite wide receiver, Devontae Adams, walking away to the, the Raiders. Uh, and also uh, the uh, the young guys that they've brought in to try and replace him, I guess, fill the void, if you will. Uh, he gave them a bit of a tune-up in the offseason or in the preseason. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a bit of work to go in there. But having said that, Aaron Rodgers is still there. Uh, the defense is, is largely intact. Uh, they also get uh, David Bakhtiari, one of the best tackles in all of football. He's coming back from an injury, so that will help. Uh, and they've got a pretty uh, pretty solid running game as well. So uh, I think the Packers will look to be, I still think they'll probably be the team to beat in the uh, NFC. It's just a matter of if they can uh, get to the point where they just don't choke for once uh, uh, when it gets to the uh, the important parts. But uh, but other than that, uh, the, the Vikings, they're, they're, they're just floating around in the background there. Um, they've also had a, uh, a new coach come in this season who has put his 100% support behind uh, Kirk Cousin, the quarterback, and uh, what they're trying to do. They've got a uh, they've got a, a pretty solid lineup offensively. They've had defensive struggles uh, over the past couple of seasons, which has really hampered uh, you know what they're what they're trying to do. So uh, so they'll look to try and just add a little bit of extra attitude on that side of the ball. Uh, they brought in Lewis Kine, um, the uh, the rookie safety in the uh, the draft. So just try and beef up the uh, the defense as much as they can. So uh, it's it's tough going when you're up against a guy like Aaron Rodgers who can just rip you to shreds when he feels like it. Uh, but yeah, the, the Vikings will be a, an interesting team to watch. They'll be sort of bubbling away there somewhere in the middle, but um, they've got definite potential to do some good things. Then you've got, oh, the Chicago Bears. 
and the Detroit Lions. Uh, of course, the Lions featured or are featuring at the moment on the Hard Knocks documentary, which is compelling viewing. If you haven't seen that, definitely check it out. Uh, that really draws you in th- with the story in, in terms of what Dan Campbell, the head coach, is doing there, trying to get this team to actually just almost like wipe the the, the loser mentality away from them. Like just, just try and actually believe that they can do better than what Lions teams have in the past. Uh, and it's, that's, it's, that's going to be a big battle for them. But, you know, they've, they've got some things coming in place there. They've drafted a fantastic new uh, leader on their defense, Aiden Hutchinson, who many people had as the best player in the entire NFL draft. So he's coming, and uh, they're looking to add a bit of extra attitude there, uh, which, yeah, it will be interesting to see what they can do. Dan Campbell's a real fighter, and so we'll see what his team can can bring out. They they fought pretty hard last year, so maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, and also you've got the Chicago Bears who, yeah, it's, it's not looking great for them, to be fair. Uh, Justin Fields, second-year quarterback, is uh, he's got his, yeah, he's definitely got his limitations, or so he did last year anyway. So uh, a lot of people have been looking at the Bears and actually picking them uh, to be running last in the entire league. Um, but yeah, it'd be, be interesting to see what those bears can hook, hook up because I, I really have no idea. So the bad news bears will become the bad luck bears, is what you're saying? The, <laughs> NFC the gummy North. bears. Yeah, the gummy bears potentially. <laughs> NFC South, uh, the Panthers, the uh, Matt Ryanless Falcons, the Saints and the Bucks. Um, is this between the Saints and the Bucks again? And, and has Gronk made a comeback yet? <laughs> Not yet. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that um, Tom Brady has actually made a comeback because uh, he had to take about uh, nearly a couple of weeks away from the training facility to to go and deal with some stuff. Um, you know, I guess it comes with age. Know about know all about that. Uh, but um, yeah, he, he took a little bit of time away. Maybe he was away uh, just having a bit of a cry because uh, a lot of his offensive line uh, are not going to be uh, standing in front of him this year. They've uh, had a few losses there in terms of free agents leaving uh, and also um, a, a couple of injuries as well. Ryan Jensen, the centers has gone down and uh, Tristan Wirfs as well. So there's some key cogs in that offense that are not going to be blocking for Tom. So he's probably going to have to get familiar with some new cattle in front of him. Uh, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see Tom Brady is Tom Brady though. He knows how to get the job done and, and he's got plenty of quality around him. So uh, they'll be definitely in the mix. I think they'll be probably gunning uh, for that NFC South um, top spot. People are really high on the Saints, uh, really high, in fact. Uh, they, they think that they can be doing some great things. Uh, of course, Jameis Winston, the quarterback, is coming back from a, an ACL uh, tier um, last year. So uh, so he hasn't really had any um, uh, tread on the tires, I suppose. Uh, they're also bringing back uh, wide receiver Michael Thomas, who's basically been out for the last couple of years with some chronic injuries. So he'll be a great addition to the offense just a matter of how they all managed to gel and, and pull it together. The defense is fantastic, possibly the best in the league, and probably a huge reason why people are backing them to succeed this year. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not entirely sold on the Saints. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's just all all hype at this point, but um, yeah, I guess that's maybe the uh, the Falcons fan and me just maybe uh, you know thinking a little bit positively in terms of uh, my team's chances, which are not great, to be fair. Uh, the, the Falcons this year have already been uh, probably be rebranded as the salary cap killers because they're playing on about a hundred million dollars worth of dead salary cap money. <laughs> wow. Just let that sink in for a moment. A hundred million dollars. Dear idea. I don't know how many uh, NRL teams that would uh, that would actually cover their entire team's salary cap. So uh, to not have that sort of money to play with is is definitely um, like you know driving with the handbrake on. So uh, so they're gonna be fighting a lot of the way uh, with a few sort of backups. Marcus Mariota is the uh, the quarterback this year and, and a lot of bit part players. So 
they're just going to fight tooth and claw. They did last year, actually did reasonably well considering. Uh, but then you've also got the Panthers who have just brought in, uh, I, I believe they've got Baker Mayfield as their, uh, their, their quarterback nowadays. So uh, interested to see how he goes on his second go round um, with, uh, you know, with a, was starting in the NFL. Uh, but yeah, I think the, um, the the Panthers may be struggling somewhat this year, depending on uh, what their defense can do. But um, yeah, an interesting NFC South, I think, this season. All right. And then uh, finally, the NFC West. Uh, I've already had a message telling me that the 49ers are better than the Packers. Are the 49ers going to win the NFC West? Ooh, well, see, that's there's a lot of question marks around the 49ers. Uh, they've got Trey Lance coming at quarterback. And well, I mean, if if the um, if what the 49ers have been hoping for, he's going to set the world on fire. But uh, they they don't know if they quite believe in him just yet because Jimmy Garoppolo was actually set to you know depart in the off season. He's coming off um, uh, a bit of an injury and was expected to be either traded away or even just released uh, as they got to the cut down days. Uh, you know, in the, in the last couple of days, so. Uh, he hasn't been. They've actually re-signed him for a season, and it's just basically a signing that screams insurance policy uh, because, yeah, I, I guess they're not entirely sold on what Trey Lance is doing so far. Of course, he's a completely different quarterback. He's a dynamic athlete, uh, but a very good point was raised that he hasn't actually had a lot of football behind him over the past couple of seasons uh, due to being the backup and also due to you know COVID ruining, ruining his uh, previous um, college season so uh, so I, I think the 49ers they they could well be a um, a joker of a team I suppose they could come out and set it on fire but um, I I would still back the Rams uh, in that NFC West um, and also I think the Cardinals as well they could be uh, they could be looking all right this year they've had a few lessons over the past couple of years fast starts worse worse finishes uh, they got thumped in the playoffs uh, and of course this year uh, they're looking to extend the streak uh, the past two years, the home city or the home team, at least for the Super Bowls, actually managed to win the title. So uh, that is being held this year over in uh, in, in uh, what is it, Scottsdale, Arizona. So uh, the, the Cardinals are going to be looking to uh, try and continue that streak. And Kyler Money, uh, money, he is signed for some good money recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's managed to yeah, hopefully solidify his place there and. This could be uh, a fairly interesting uh, division with those three teams, the Rams, the Cardinals, and the 49ers. Rams, of course, defending Super Bowl champs, enough said. Uh, and then you've got the Seahawks, who, you know, they decided to trade away Russell Wilson and basically start a rebuild. But, uh, yeah, at the moment, they've well, they've, they've got a, a few question marks at quarterback. And I heard this explained really well, uh, I think, by Robert uh, Griffin uh, III, former NFL quarterback, he said that the Seahawks, they don't actually have a number one quarterback currently. All they have is two number twos. So <laughs> I felt like that was quite a good uh, description for them. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic description. All right, so you've given us uh, you've given us a team out of the AFC. Who are you giving us out of the NFC? Oh, lucky here. I, I wanted to go for an underdog in one of these um, divisions, uh, but I actually think this could well be the year that the Packers won't choke. I think they might be able to get to the big dance this year uh, and make it to the Super Bowl and, and just, you know, get rid of those playoff demons. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, of course, he's been there, he's done that, and he's only probably got a couple more seasons in him, to be fair. Um, so I, I actually think the Packers, yeah, I think the Packers could join the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Okay, the Packers, Chiefs, Super Bowl. Have the Chiefs managed to sign Joe Rogan as part of the medical staff <laughs> this season? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Okay, well, that, yeah, that, that seals it then. Uh, Gerard, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Good stuff. And we'll talk throughout the season uh, on the, the NFL. Thanks for your time. I can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to some football. All right, bring it on. Uh, it is 27 away from 11. When we come back, we're talking boxing with Anson Wainwright out of Ring TV. It's 22 away from 11 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11. Joining us now from uh, Ring Magazine is Anson Wainwright out of the UK. G'day, Anson. How are you doing? Good day, guys. I'm good. Doing well in yourselves? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. i tell you what, I was a, a, a little surprised when I saw uh, late this afternoon, New Zealand time, the story came out that the WBO has approved the request from last week by promoter Frank Warren uh, to make this bout between Parker and Joyce for the interim title. Uh, what do you make of that, and what does it mean for those fighters? Um, it, it's it's a funny one because uh, Usyk just beat Joshua, I think it was 10 days ago, mm. so it's not like he's not been active. Um, I suspect because I, I, I certainly know with Joyce, he's been the number one for a while, and I suspect, obviously, Frank Warren is his promoter. Um, I suspect he decided that he wanted to try and, you know, push his guy a little bit more. Um, and that's why they've kind of they, they, they've kind of done this. They, they're trying to placate the situation so he becomes the next guy. Because, it's, it's, as I say, there's, there's pretty much we have one champion, you know, Usyk and then Fury, Willie, won't he? So I think he's just trying to reinforce that situation. So it just it gives the, you know, it, for the general public, it just gives the fight a little bit more of a luster. But in general terms, it doesn't really mean anything because the winner will be the WBO mandatory anyway. So, I mean, is this just effectively, I mean, excuse me for being maybe a little callous on this front, but is this just another opportunity to, for Frank Warren to make some more money and sell some more pay-per-views? Um, I suppose you could look at it that way. To be honest, I wouldn't necessarily sit there and think, oh, I'm going to buy the fight. I don't know whether I'm going to buy the fight. I'm emming and ahhing, and, and then all of a sudden the WBO interim title's on the line, so I'd buy it. So I don't really think so. I think it's just more... I, I would think that you know that shouldn't be something that would make people suddenly decide to, to tune in just because of that. So I, I shouldn't think it should make much of a difference. I think it's just more the fact he's just reinforcing his guy you know, as being that, you know, it, that being Joyce, if Joyce were to win, it just reinforces that he's... In, in that position to, you know, to, to, to the, his next cab off the rank, if you like, to, to fight Usyk, you know, who is the WBO champion. Uh, I mean, and there's no guarantee that it will be Usyk either because I see uh, Tyson Fury is uh, back on the comeback trail, back training, um, and I don't know when this fight will be. There was some speculation they might try and make it happen before the end of the year, but I, it feels like that would be too soon. Yes, I think. I mean, I saw something the other day where they were talking around Super Bowl weekend, um, you know, the weekend after that, I think. So I think it, uh, the, the idea, would, what I guess, would be to use Super Bowl as a bit of a commercial to really, you know, in America to really push the fight. Because um, I think it'll, it you know, could possibly be Saudi Arabia. But honestly, until the deal's done, I, you know, I'm not counting my chickens before they've hatched because, you know, Usyk, uh, yes, he's a free agent and, you know, it, the, if, I'm sure there'll be the money there. Um, it's certainly an easier fight to make than, than Joshua versus Fury. But until the fight's made, you know, it, it, you see this where it goes months and months and, you know, all of a sudden we're next summer. So there's no guarantees. None whatsoever. I mean, how much money is going to be involved? Because I did hear Tyson Fury throwing around some figure about $850 million. 
not even close to that. Not even close <laughs> to that. That's you know fanciful. You 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 know if I suppose you've got to try. All it needs is you say that, and you've got one. You know someone cash rich shaking in Saudi Arabia who decides that they want to you know the back the fight, um, and they just write the check. I suppose you're, you're more hoping in that regard. But you know I I would imagine both guys are gonna you know gonna earn. You know, good money if if they were to come together. You know, you're probably looking at they're going to make twenty something million each. You know, but I don't. I think yeah, eight hundred million is rather fanciful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. That is, uh, I think, understating things, Anson. But uh, thank you. Um, from a from your point of view, uh, this Joyce Parker fight here, the bookies have got Joyce as the favourite. Uh, only 14 professional fights, 13 wins by KO. He's 14 and 0. Parker's been around a little longer. He's been in these title fight situations before. Um, are you surprised that he is the uh, the underdog here, Joseph Parker? Um, not really, because I think you in this situation, I, I, I would imagine that the odds, I have not seen them, but I imagine the odds are fairly close. I'd imagine, you know, let's say Joyce, he's at home. I know. It is the second home. It's where uh, Joseph trains. Obviously, with Andy Lee, they're in Morecambe and and what have you. So from that regard, um, it's his second home. But he's the away fighter in terms of, obviously, Joyce is backed by, you know, Warren. So... I'm not too surprised. He's obviously he's doing very well. I think it should be a fan friendly fight when when Joseph Joyce when Joseph and um, Joyce fight. They're both pretty fan friendly fighters. So I, I, Joyce is there and throws a lot of punches and he's very hittable. So I think it'll be an exciting fight. Yeah, I tell you that this is the market at the TAB in New Zealand. Uh, Joe Joyce a dollar forty four. Joe Parker two fifty. The draw at seventeens. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds probably about right, I would think, yeah. Yeah, okay, interesting, because I was looking at it thinking, Parker's got the experience, I think he's a more dynamic fighter, he probably has better movement, he's probably got faster hands, um, I know jo- Joyce is a bigger man, but I, yeah, it just feels to me like this is a very winnable fight for Joe Parker. Yes, I mean, I, absolutely, I, I think it basically comes down to um, how he's able to deal with the constant pressure, you know, Joyce is a guy who's six foot six, 250 plus pounds, is going to throw a lot of punches. And we've just seen guys like Carlos Takamu, you guys would know well, they've just wilted under the pressure. Now, Joseph is obviously going to, you know, he's with you know, very good boxing brain of, you know, Andy Lee. And as well as Andy Lee, they, I'm sure Tyson will, will, will say a few things to, uh, he, he'll know. Um, Joyce well, and I'm sure he'll be giving Joyce uh, uh, Joseph some some good advice. But he's going to have to deal with that constant pressure. And as you say, I think you're trying to offset it with movement. But and I think Joyce is exceedingly easy to hit. You know, he's there, so you're going to have that. You want to kind of dissuade him. And we've seen guys like Dubois; they weren't able to do that. Um, he's got a pesky jab that could cause Joseph some problems. Um, but I, I, it's how he deals with the pressure ultimately. I think can he just keep that off him for, for rounds after rounds because he's going to be hitting Joyce. Um, but I think it should be, it'll be a fun fight. Definitely. Yeah, it will be a fun fight. Looking forward to this one, mate. Actually another fight uh, this weekend um, is, uh, well, this week it's Monday, New Zealand time, but weekend for you, uh, Andy Ruiz, Luis Ortiz. Um, Ruiz is in some sort of shape nowadays. Uh, he's certainly, uh, stepped up a little bit. Uh, you think he'll take care of Ortiz, who's you know a, a guy that's a tough man to, to finish? It's going to be interesting because we just don't know with with Ru- with Ruiz. He fought last May, 
and he'd lost weight, but he didn't look good at all. It was almost as though he was better being heavy. When he sort of got himself down into some shape, it didn't. It, it looked a bit like when you've, uh, in, you know, you've, you've cut. You, what's, what's his name? Was it Hercules? And he cut his hair, and yeah. he was never quite the same. It was. It's a bit like that with a golden fleece. Is he able to drop the weight and still perform effectively? So, I mean, if he if he is, he'll get the win. But if he's not, he'll probably be found out. And, and of course, with Ortiz, we, we don't quite know how, you know, is he in the 40s? Where is he? He's, he's an older guy. Um, it'll be interesting to see because I don't think he looked good in his last fight either. So, um, and they're both in the thick of it. It's a fight that the winner will be in a really good spot. And obviously the loser, you know, isn't in such a good spot. But I, I mean, I think the winner could, could, quite, could quite possibly be in a position to face... Um, Wilder, you know, some point, some point next year. I mean, I, I believe that will be the plan. That if um, if Wilder beats Hellenius, that they will put Wilder versus the winner. It, certainly, if it was Ruiz, they would. That would probably be a pay per view in America. And so, um, I mean, because Wilder is obviously the name that we we've been talking about. Uh, he's probably the guy that AJ needs to fight and beat to set up Fury again. But he's got a bit of a road to get there. Uh, Eddie Hearn said he wants him to fight again. In uh, in December, um, what's that looking like? Do we know who who that might be? I mean, is he going to go up against, you know, a Dillian White again, or, or or someone like that, or maybe a new face in a, in a Daniel Dubois to give him a, a, you know, some ranking points? I think. You know, it was mentioned after the fight in the heat of the moment about December when Joshua fights. It's it's box office. He's you know he's very 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 popular. Does big events. So it'll be interesting to see w- where they can put a fight because he could sell out any indoor arena. You know, you're looking at twenty thousand. So he could do that, no problem. So in terms of who they get, I think you've got to drop it back. And you'll probably, I would imagine, you'd look at a you know someone you know a, a younger, fresher name. Um, you know, someone who's kind of middle of the road. Um, perhaps a nice record, you know, you'll, you'll look for something like that, like going back harker to the days when Tyson returned and he fought Peter McNeely. It was, you know, he was at a nice 30 and one record, but he, he really was, you know, many levels below. I think you, I would look at something like that where he comes back and fights somebody who's further back um, to try and reestablish himself and get himself in the win column and then go again next year. But It'd be interesting to see if they are able to do December because, you know, obviously Joshua's probably on holiday and stuff now and and, uh, makes tens of millions and he's going to obviously be a drop off for that. And that would be interesting because, of course, December, you need to be back in training pretty soon. Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens there. And uh, just before we let you go too, mate, I mean, there's a, a, a big trilogy fight coming up. Canelo Alvarez versus Triple G on the 18th of September. Alvarez is pretty hot favourite in this one. Uh, I mean, it feels like this is uh, Triple G cashing in on the trilogy fight, and we might see him retire afterwards. I, I don't know that I can see a way for him to win this. No, I, I, I'm with you. I think though Canelo, the interesting thing is obviously Canelo's coming off a loss, and what you know, what that's done to him, you know. But I think obviously he's he's 32 years old and can, and you've got Triple G, who is 40 years old and he's 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 looked at his last few fights he's not looked quite he's, he, you know he's always he's, he's hittable because he's so you know offensive minded um, I suspect that that Canelo will stop him in the in the you know the later rounds the, the last quarter of the fight somewhere along then I think it'll just be too much and um, Triple G we've never seen him stopped and we've never really seen, we've seen him hurt once so it'll be interesting to see if that's the case but uh, yeah I thoroughly expect Canelo to win that fight 
Yeah, good stuff, Anson. Thanks very much for giving us some time today, mate. Go well and keep up the good work at uh, Ring Magazine, eh? Thank you, guys. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Have a good show. Yeah, will do. Thanks very much, uh, Anson Wayne, right there with us. It is 10 away from 11. You're on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you and uh, just about done for the night. Um, now, I just uh, missed the final whistle of that Canterbury North Harbour game and the Bunnings MPC from earlier tonight. I can tell you that the Cantabs did run out winners. They were up 25-3 at one point, uh, but Harbour clawed it back, ended up 35-22 Canterbury winning, so winning 13-plus as well. Tell you what, there would have been a few nervous punters because uh, Bryn Gatlin had a conversion towards the end. If he had knocked it over, uh, the points difference would have been 11. So it was literally a conversion that would have meant the difference between if you had Canterbury unders or overs, but uh, he missed it. So Canterbury overs was the uh, the deal there, and so that's two losses and two for Harbour after losing the Shield Challenge against Hawke's Bay last weekend as well, and then they go again this weekend. So, yeah, a tough one for Harbour to swallow, you've got to think, and uh, they won't be overly happy with that, though the Cantabs will be. Um, the Tom Christie, uh, George Bell played really, really well. Uh, Willie Hines, um, Isaiah Puniavai, uh, pretty good as well, and it certainly sets Canterbury up pretty well in that evens pool. Uh, latest on the Phoenix, about 25 minutes to go over in Sydney in this quarterfinal of the Australia Cup against MacArthur. MacArthur are 1-0 up in that game, 1-0 up. The Phoenix have hit the post twice. Will they be able to uh, pull it back, maybe take it extra time and penalties? We shall see. Have a good evening. We'll be back with you in the next couple of days. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.